an action that you took in a previous lifetime will have a reaction in this lifetime. So if you fall down and hit your head, that wasn't an accident. Oh, it just happened. There is a karmic, you could say you were set to fall down because you needed to learn a lesson. Like karma is not a punishment. It's, it's, it's a teaching tool for you. So all the things that happen in your life, all your experiences are designed to teach you something about yourself and change your behavior. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, Paul is talking with Rudy Vespor. Rudy is the director of the Hanuman Center for Heilkunst and Homeopathy and is the principal tutor and supervisor for the history, philosophy and principles of romantic science and romantic science healthcare. In addition to numerous books for the general public, Rudy has created many programs of study in the fields of philosophy, romantic science for healthcare, and sequential homeopathy, treatment, and therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcast. Your opinions matter and your ratings help us to grow and help more people to be healthy, find freedom of body and mind, and to live their dreams. We hope you enjoy the conversation between Paul and Rudy as they take a deeper look at homeopathy. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today I have a very exciting and interesting conversation on homeopathy with a true master of homeopathy, Rudy Verspohr. Rudy was brought to my attention by one of my best friends and longest running client, well, the longest running client, Jason Picard, who had done quite a bit of work with Rudy and, and really said to me, Paul, you've got to check out Rudy's work because it's way beyond anything I've ever seen and extremely helpful. And, and I, so I did make contact with Rudy and we've shared some emails and discussions back and forth. And I think we're going to have a fantastic exploration on a lot of issues for you here today. And I think you're going to learn a hell of a lot. Uh, Rudy, welcome. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. It's not often I get asked uh, for a lengthy discussion, which is always the best discussion. Otherwise, you get rushed into everything. Yeah, no, I don't like rushed discussions. I don't like, uh, you, you know, um, fast food education, you know, so I like to get into things and, and try to really get some meat and potatoes so that the people listening can walk away with a sense of knowing who the guest is, what they're about and really get something from it. So, uh, Rudy, from our conversations, I know you have a very diverse background and approach to your patient care and have been studying homeopathic remedies for about 35 years now. Could you share an overview of your background and what led you to studying homeopathic medicines as opposed to a standard allopathic approach? Well, very short quickly, uh, when I went to university, I actually uh, considered going into pre-med, but I got so uh, fed up with their materialistic, uh, you know, <laughs> quantitative approach that I decided to go a completely different direction, which was essentially, uh, I went into history and philosophy and um then I didn't think too much about medicine until I got seriously ill in my 30s. Wow. And nobody could help me. I have uh, a problem that I can't take drugs. They make me psychotic. Oh. So that, was, that was never an option. And 
I knew uh, that homeopathy was a possibility because my parents had a homeopathic doctor in Holland uh, before the war. And so I just didn't see it as an alternative or quackery or anything like that. I just started studying because medical doctors there in Europe used it. And I was quite taken by it. And then I uh, started studying and I started treating myself because there was no homeopathic doctor <laughs> where I lived. And um, I started getting results. And then the next step in my journey was I discovered a Swiss doctor, Dr. Elmiguer, who wrote a book which revolutionized my whole understanding because at that point I have to say I almost gave up homeopathy and maybe in this discussion we can uh, get to the roots of why I did and, and then why I didn't because uh, I discovered that the way homeopathy is being practiced is really, you could say, superficial. Mm -hmm. and that there was a deeper system of medicine that was in Dr. Hahnemann's writings, which are all in German, of course, and um, I stumbled on that, and that's what has led me to practicing what people call homeopathy, although I will make a distinction between what Dr. Hahnemann called it, but that's how I got into it. I healed myself, pulled myself out of a hole when no one else could, and I was pretty sick. I would not be talking to you today if I hadn't done that. I, I knew I was heading to a pretty uh, serious case of cancer. And so that's basically it. And then I started helping family and friends, and finally I got to a point where, while well, I had to do this seriously, or I stopped doing it because it got so busy, and I quit my job, which was a high-profile job for the federal government in Canada, and walked away from all that and started a practice. And uh, so, yeah, the rest is kind of history, I guess. Yeah, that's very interesting. Y you know, that's the classic case of the wounded healer. I think those are the doctors and the therapists that really ultimately become the best uh, because, one, they learn from experience that what they're doing actually works which is what inspires them to keep going. What thought came to my mind as you were talking there is that what I see has happened to homeopathy is it's really being used allopathically. It's, you know, you just go to the store and you look, you know, you got a headache or you got this rash or the doctors that use it or therapists that use it do the same thing. They just look your symptoms up in a book and they say, okay, take these pills but from speaking to Jason and, and learning more about your process, you're really um, going way deeper than that because you're actually looking for the root causes of the etiology and addressing it there as opposed to the symptom level. Well, this is, this is where when I mentioned I went into history and philosophy, uh, the one, uh, I love history just for history's sake, but the one thing historical training taught me you always go to the original documents, to the source. Right. Never trust secondary or tertiary documents. And I've had many instances where what the secondary document said is not borne out by the primary document. So when I, when I learned homeopathy the classical way, I studied purely from secondary documents. That's how you study. And then when I discovered it wasn't working and I almost quit because it couldn't handle the serious chronic ailments that people were coming up with, 
I stumbled on this work, which opened the door to my going back and studying the original works in German. And what I discovered is the following. And again, this is, you know, a shocker, but uh, nobody in the homeopathic community really wants to deal with it. The original writings, the first writings that Dr. Hahnemann made in 1796, which no one has read, I discovered no one. <laughs> except you. <laughs> well, except me, because I like to read the original documents, but they just read what they're told to read, and it's mostly secondary documents, said that there were two approaches that you could use in medicine and using the law of similars. One is to go after the causation, okay? Had nothing to do with symptomology. So if you get hit on the head, <laughs> you, don't, you don't sit and ask a person what their symptoms are. <laughs> you know the immediately, and I can tell you a number, you can prescribe very, very quickly once you know this. A person comes in and says, I banged my head and I haven't been feeling really, I've got a headache and I have fatigue. It doesn't matter what their symptoms are. Oh, you banged your head. Okay, take this remedy or this set of remedies. That's designed to deal for anybody with a concussion. Okay. So what Dr. Hahnemann said is you first go after causality. You're always looking for causality. Now, there are many levels of causality. We can get into that. but if, for example, you've treated for the causation, but there remains some residue of illness or disease, you can't go by causation because you just treated for it. You then have to go by the symptomology. Now, going by symptomology is very difficult and complex at the best of times. And even Dr. Hahnemann said it's only for master homeopaths. And you said I was a master, but I'm not. Not when it comes to homeopathy, the symptomological approach. Even Hahnemann had trouble. So why do you need to treat symptomologically? Because if you have a disease vector, doesn't matter if it's an infectious one or a blow to the head or, you know, an emotional trauma, it doesn't matter. They're all vectors they will interact with your life force. And in interacting with your life force, they will make babies, you could say. The babies don't necessarily get destroyed when you treat the causality. 80% of the time they do, because they can't survive on their own yet. But if, if it's been there long enough, it'll bury itself into the system and that effectively will make it independent. So then you have to go after it because it's a child of the causation. You have to go after it through symptomology, but now it's very easy to do. I can isolate that child and do the symptomological prescribing fairly quickly. And you can do that using mainly only about 40 to 60 different homeopathic remedies, not thousands. So it makes things a lot easier. But the answer is that effectively, Dr. Hahnemann created a system. He didn't call that homeopathy. He called his whole system, the German term is Heilkunz, which means the art of cure, the art of mediation. Mm -hmm. Homeopathy he developed about 15 years later because he discovered there were these residual secondary diseases, but 
that's a much more difficult way. And he wrote a lot of books about it. So that's what they focused on. And they, they forgot that there's this much simpler way of addressing things through causation. Now, once you understand causation, you can ignore more or less symptomology for the most part. And then the focus shifts in teaching the levels of causation, the chain of causation. Now, you mentioned in some of your uh, questions that you sent me, uh, you mentioned, you know, what about, uh, you know, where these comes from and, and uh, you know, does it affect the etheric astral, you know, level, etc. And yes, if we want to get into the question of where disease comes from, okay, my experience and understanding scientifically and philosophically and historically is that all disease comes from karma and there are levels of karma and uh, Rudolf Steiner uh, in anthroposophy he laid out these levels of karma and they accord very well I didn't know this beforehand but they accord very well with the levels of causation treatment that we do so the first level is the physical karma what that means is all the ills and spills of this lifetime. You know, someone dies, you fall down and hit your head, uh, you get an, a drug or an injection, uh, you know, you have all these traumas. These are what we call physical body trauma, physical karma. Mm -hmm. Okay, you, All those things don't happen by chance. They happen because your karma is triggering this to bring things to your attention just just uh if you could sorry to interrupt you but karma has uh it's a loaded term and, and many people have their own distinction yes. of it so classically karma in the hindu context is action reaction how are you using it i'm using it in the context of uh you could say repeated earth lives reincarnation uh, in the sense that an action that you took in a previous lifetime will have a reaction in this lifetime. So if you fall down and hit your head, that wasn't an accident. Oh, it just happened. There is a karmic, uh, you could say you were set to fall down because you needed to learn a lesson. Like karma is not a punishment. It's, it's, it's a teaching tool for you. So all the things that happen in your life, all your experiences are designed to teach you something about yourself and change your behavior. But the issue is that the first thing we treat in any patient is the physical karma. We take the timeline and we get the patient to make fill out the timeline and we start treating from the most recent trauma and work our way back to the point of conception. So even the state of mind of the parents at the time of conception, if it's known, can be very critical to the, uh, you know, the development of the child. So we clear all of it, basically. I have a quick question before we get too far off the point. Your description of karma brings up an interesting question in me, and, and that is this. That model of karma really challenges the notion of free will. How do you reconcile free will with that model of karma? Well, first of all, uh, nobody 
is entirely free. So the word, I question the word free will. What I would say is that what we have is freedom of choice. Yes. You don't have free will because you don't even control your will. Your subconscious mind is in is in the driver's seat. You know, your conscious mind maybe controls 10% of what's going on in your body and around you. So you don't have free will. So I don't use that term, but you have freedom of choice. So karma involves the choices you make. Now, when you're a little child, you don't have a lot of consciousness. So you don't make choices really consciously. But as you get older, you're supposed to more consciously make choices. But in terms of the evolution of consciousness through repeated earth lives, you're supposed to be doing the same. You're supposed to be making more and more conscious choices. So the name of the game is mind being more mindful and more conscious. But the karma is just like a child putting his hand on a stove and burning his hand. Oh, I better not do that. That's not a good idea. So if you do something in a in a past lifetime, and now it comes back to bite you, people say, well, how would I know? Well, because by removing the shock of that trauma, if you don't know it already, by removing that shock, what amazingly happens is people start to become more conscious. They start to recognize, oh, like, I'll give you an example. I have a lady who came in, and she her main complaint was a bunch of symptoms. Obviously, that's what brings people in. But really, you could tell from her description, her main complaint was that she was in the fifth or sixth serious relationship. But her complaint was they all looked the same. They all ended up being the same. Yeah, that's classic. That's classic, exactly. And so I explained that to her, why that was happening. and. She said, well, how do we get out of that pattern? I said, well, because we treat for all the traumas that you've had in those patterns, and you will become conscious of those patterns so that you don't fall into that pattern again. And that's exactly what happens. So you're not just making symptoms go away, pain go away, discomfort go away. You're actually helping people increase their mind and consciousness. That's certainly what happened to me. And I see it in my patients all the time, basically. I explain in this regard, I say, people ask me all the time, do, do we have free will? And I say only to the degree that you've healed your unconscious programming. And that is quite a job. That is a job. It's a lifetime's work. But the key is you keep expanding your capacity for conscious Awareness. Uh, choices, awareness. But awareness is different from consciousness. Awareness operates off the nervous system. It's like bunny rabbits. They're constantly nervous because they're, they're just checking everything. That's awareness. Consciousness operates off the autonomic system, which is love-based, not fear-based. And that means that you have this understanding, this deeper connection both within and without. So you're in a state of love, which gives you an incredible capacity to see things and discern things, as opposed to a state of fear, which narrows your focus dramatically. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it's a very interesting, the whole concept of free will and, and all of these things we're discussing are 
quite deep and, as you know, polarized opinions about them all. I think they're very, very important. I think they're very important for healing. In fact, yes. uh, I'll share with you that in my institute, I teach my students how to work with their patients to create what I refer to as an injury tree. And we draw a basic tree, a, like the trunk of a tree, and with roots. And then we label every single physical, emotional, or mental insult that the person has conscious memory of. Are you familiar with Pfluger's laws? Yes. Mm -hmm. So I use Pfluger's laws to show how you can see how anything is progressing based on Pfluger's laws. And so when we are working with somebody, because oftentimes, you know, for example, somebody may have hurt their ankle playing tennis when they were 10, but now they've got terrible pain in their opposite side, neck and shoulder. So everybody keeps treating that. And of course, it's not resolving the injury because it's part of a compensatory pattern. So without a long description, because uh, I know you understand this, I'm just stating that in my training, because I specialized in medical failures my whole career. So I get all these people that like you, I'm sure do, that have been everywhere and I'm almost always having to go back and identifying unresolved physical, emotional, and mental traumas. And a lot of it turns out to be, as I'm sure you've also found, a lot of religious programming and fear-based programming that led to a lot of parental conflicts and, you know, the challenges of a person expressing their authentic soul nature, such as maybe naturally gravitating toward music, but being told by their parents, you'll never make a living doing that. You got to become an accountant or a lawyer or something. And so the soul gets basically suffocated and that leads to a whole change in the orientation of that soul's perception of itself throughout life, which then sets up a knock on effect, which then leads to all sorts of symptoms and drug use and, and, you know, depression and anxiety and all the things that are common but but you know, I'm sharing that because I think what you're saying is first of all you know as well as I do to do this kind of work requires not only a lot of skill from the doctor or the therapist but a, a lot of honest time in connection with the patient to work through this ask the questions and it's a real intimate relationship between patient and care provider where the medical system, you know, the average doctor sees a person for six minutes. I mean, you can't even begin real medicine or therapy at that level. So, uh, you know, it's beautiful to hear you describing the depth of this approach, because I think there's a myriad of people that'll be listening to this podcast that have been to doctor after doctor and therapist after therapist thinking Either the doctors just don't know what the hell they're doing or they're never going to heal. And, it, and either of those can just add a lot more stress to you because you feel like a, a, a trapped animal. Yes, no, you're absolutely right. Uh, the, the only thing I would add uh, or alter somewhat to what you're saying is that there's a distinction we need to make that has not made anywhere. Like I've never seen it anywhere in the natural health field. And, and this is something that just perplexes me no end. But the, the distinction is between healing and curing. 
And the distinction is also between an imbalance and a disease state. Now, how does that work? Well, first of all, you have two sides of your living power in you. One side is we could call the sustaining power, which produces homeostasis. So you don't eat right or you don't exercise right, you get out of balance. Yes. That has a law, a therapeutic law, which is well known, but misused in the allopathic system called the law of opposites. So if you're not getting the right nutrients, what's the answer? Get the right nutrients. Very if you're not getting enough. the right exercise, do the right exercise. And now that can take a fair bit of work. So I agree with you on the complexity. However, on the other side of the life force or the living power, I prefer to call it, you have a different system. It's called the generative power. And it has a balanced system called palingenesis as opposed to homeostasis. Now, palingenesis is not the same as a, a, you know, a, an imbalance or you know, trying to balance and you know, get back to balance. What does the word mean before you go too far? Okay, palingenesis means a damage to the generative power. Okay, now that's a medical term. We use it somewhat differently than the allopathic system, but it's the same idea. It relates to this uh, generational power, mostly sexual, if we want to use it, because we think in physical terms, sexual power, but it goes beyond sexual power. But you're really speaking of libido, life force energy. Well, libido, but it's what drives the division of the cells, is what allows you to make a baby, is what allows you to have a, an idea, a genial idea, etc. Anyway. That side of things cannot be fixed. That's, this is was the insight that Dr. Hahnemann had that no one else in the meta, you know, in the uh, natural health field or whatever has ever come across. He had the insight that that required a different law to fix, and that law he called the law of similars. Okay, now the law of similars was known by the Greeks, but they never used it because it's dangerous. Now, <laughs> I got to hear this. <laughs> okay. If you are suffering from arsenic poisoning. Yeah. And you take arsenic. <laughs> well, it, it, this is what toxicologists do and uh, allergy people do. They give you a little bit of, you know, what is bothering you, but the case is always a matter of dose. Okay. We can get to that later when we talk about homeo how homeopathic, so-called homeopathic remedies work. But the point is, the law of similars is the only law that can remove an impediment to the generative power. Okay, so let's say you had a disease. So we call that a disease, not an imbalance. If you got a vaccination injection, okay, you now have a disease. There's a term for that, vaccinosis. And it doesn't matter how much you change your diet, how much you exercise, you can pump up your system to resist the damage caused by that injection, but you cannot remove the damage. Okay. So then how do you remove the damage? Well, Dr. Hahnemann's insight was you use the law of similars. You give something similar. Now, mind you, he didn't have at that time, vaccinations, but he would have other diseases, let's say cholera or uh, uh, scarlet fever or whatever. 
all of those diseases leave some damage to your generative power. I'll give you a simple example. I had a patient who one side of her throat was paralyzed. So when she ate or drank, she had to do it in a very contorted way to get it past, you know, that, that paralysis. And she was in her 50s. It came because she had had polio as a child. Okay. I treated her at the right time because that's another thing we have to get at is you have to treat for the right thing at the right time. <laughs> you can't just pick and choose. There's a, there's a logic to that. I treated her for the polio in her timeline, as we call it, and her paralysis went away. That's good. Now, I have, you know, thousands of cases like that. But the point is that that was the only thing that could remove that, that damage, that impediment. Today, we need to consider two sides of the equation. And as far as I can see, the natural health field is only really considering the one side. What I'm trying to bring in is this other side that Dr. Hahnemann brought forward. The problem, again, is that the classical homeopathic approach can't address those, those causes. They can only address the secondary diseases coming off the cause. But they won't address and can't address because they never read uh, Dr. Hahnemann's original essay. Um, how to treat those causations. But that makes a big difference because once you remove those blockages, then your metabolism works better, your digestion works better, your, your, the benefits you get from exercise work better, you know, the, all the regimenal things that you do on the side of the law of opposites, like get more sunshine or don't get too much sunshine, you know, get more vitamin C, etc. All those things now can make a bigger difference. They made a difference before, but they were that difference was limited by these blockages in the generative power. It, it's like a governor on your car engine. You, it doesn't matter how far you press the gas, you can only go so fast. Hi, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the show. I imagine you know that magnesium is one of the minerals that people in North America are the most efficient in, but it's an extremely important mineral to have in your diet regularly. And believe it or not, Bioptimizers has improved what was already well known to be the best magnesium formula out there called Magnesium Breakthrough. So I've got Wade Lightheart with me to explain what it is they've done to improve this already excellent formula. Wade, what is new about your new Mag Breakthrough formula? Well, it's called sucrosomial magnesium. So we have seven different types of magnesium in Magnesium Breakthrough because they're uptaken by different parts of the body. But a new type of magnesium has been created called sucrosomial. And what it shows in the research in science is that it's actually even more absorbable by the body, particularly inside of the brain, which is a big aspect uh, to enhance neurotransmitter formation, as well as ensuring the rest and relax response in the nervous system that a lot of people will take magnesium for. They find it, you know, clocks them down, helps them sleep better, allows for the relaxation of striated and smooth muscle tissue in the body, which creates an energetic relief. And so when we added sucrosomial, we were able to demonstrate inside our lab facility that we were able to get better improvements. Of course, we have a partnership with the Birch International University. We have some patents we're working on, uh, which will 
kind of relay some of these things, but sucrosomial was a no-brainer when we added to the formula, improved the results or improved the uptake. And the reports back from our testing team were like, wow, this we get more results with less caps. And that's always the goal for our company. That's excellent. I love it. I, I always say, and people have probably heard me say it before, I just am so amazed how you guys are constantly and always improving and working your best to not only make better products for us, but it doesn't seem to me that it gets more expensive as you make them better. So that's a real gift to the world. Thank you. Here comes the best part. The makers of Magnesium Breakthrough by Optimizers are having a Black Friday special offer from November 21st to the 29th. You can get not only Magnesium Breakthrough, but all of Bioptimizers excellent products with 25% off. Just go to Bioptimizers, that's B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash living 40. That's living number four little d. So Bioptimizers dot com forward slash living 4D and enter the code Paul10 on checkout to get 25% off any order. This is the best time to stock up on the products you love and try new ones. All Bioptimizer supplements are amazing and do exactly what they say they will, which as you know, is unusual in the supplement industry. If for some reason you feel differently, you can get a full refund. No questions asked. They are so confident they offer a 365-day money-back guarantee on any of their products. Hey, if you've arrived here late, and missed the special offer, don't worry, there's always a chance for a 10% offer for any of my listeners using the code PAUL10, P-A-U-L in lowercase with a 10, all stuck together. But if you've arrived just in time, again, the link to go for the exclusive Black Friday offering starting November 21st is bioptimizers.com forward slash living number four little d with the checkout code PAUL10. Do it while supplies last and don't miss the November 29th deadline. A quick question. I'm in a complete agreement with everything you're saying. And I do look at these issues. I just use different words than you do. Um, how do you address something? You, you talked about polio, which, which is a, a physical disease process. How do you deal with something like the trauma of, of being orphaned? Yes, there's a remedy for that. So how there. do they find the law of similars for, for, a, a, a person's abandonment issue? Well, there is a remedy that was known even before Dr. Hahnemann's time, because many of the remedies he came up with, he called them uh, domestic remedies. These were known to the wise women, to the herbalists, and you know everybody else. Um, so there is a remedy. It's called nature muriaticum. It's uh, sodium chloride salt, basically. Salt. Uh. Uh, what what happens when you're crying? What comes out in the tears? Salt. Salt. So if you use nature muriaticum, you can treat for a trauma of abandonment. Now, having said that, I now want to shift back to the point I started with, which is there are levels of causation. So in this lifetime, you have an abandonment. But you have to ask yourself why. No one ever asks why, because it's a karmic lesson you need to learn. So if it's karmic in this lifetime at the physical level, although it's an emotional thing, it's at the physical level because you're living physically in this lifetime. You're not in the spirit world. The next level we have to go to is what's called the etheric level, the etheric body level, 
that is this kind of general cloud of, of karma and consciousness that exists you know in the in the spiritual soul spiritual level that you carry into this world with you like you 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 carry, take on certain uh, etheric challenges mm-hmm. it's a formative force it's a formative force it then manifests in this lifetime as occurrence oh i hit my head oh my boyfriend abandoned me or you know my my child died and that's all because this has been not pre-programmed, but it's been built in for you to have these things happen so you can wake up and understand, you know, the issue that you're supposed to understand. Now, you can treat for this etheric karma, and it's built into what in homeopathy, and I use that term just popularly like everyone uses it, um, it's built into something called chronic mayas. Yes, I was going to ask you for your definition of that. A chronic miasm is an energy pattern that you inherit. It's it's not physical. It's an energy. Therefore, it's a theory. There are, and this has been worked out not by me, although I worked out half of it, but the the first half came from this doctor in Switzerland, Dr. Almiguer. And I met him and talked to him a number of times. And I've proven this over and over and over again, but there are eight archetypal miasms. They relate to the seasons, and there are two seasons for every season. So we have early winter, late winter, early summer, late summer. So we call them dominant miasm and recessive miasm. So again, it's all polaric, but nonetheless, if you treat for those eight in a specific sequence, you can address, and I have to do that mostly with autistic children because their problem is so obvious, but then you can address these etheric level karma. Okay. Now, then you mentioned uh, beliefs at one point. Okay. That's astral body. Okay. Or emotional trauma. But the belief goes one high, one level even higher, but it's, it influences the emotional state. So abandonment is an astral level bo- uh, problem or state of fear or state of, uh, you know, you're insanely jealous, like fatal attraction or something. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, there are four basic fundamental emotions at the biological level. And there are four fundamental remedies, homeopathic remedies, that address those emotions. What are those four basic emotions you're operating with? You're operating with love, anger, well, love, anger, fear, and jealousy, envy, jealousy. Okay. But they're biological, and I can explain that biologically. But the point is that the way you treat for that there's two levels. One is through these four basic uh, remedies, which are very powerful. But the other is through using uh, a bioresonance technology, because then you get into uh, the more upper astral level. You're getting into a, a, a complex of problems because it's not a simple one like at the etheric level. Could you just for the listeners, because we're using the term etheric i don't think many people understand what that really means and there's also a lot of different definitions of it even 
studying Steiner, he uses it different ways. For example, in some areas of Steiner's work, the etheric field is described as the energy produced by the biochemical interactions of the cells. So it produces a, uh, shall we say, a layer of, you could, just to state it simply, electromagnetic energy, just like you have, if you turn a computer on, there's an, an aura of energy around it that if you're sensitive enough, you can feel. Like when a cell phone's live, if you bring it near water that you're holding on, you'll feel the water molecules just start dancing. Then there's another level of the etheric field. So that could you distinguish those just so we don't, so, so people that can, that can follow us? Okay. Well, I basically use uh, Steiner's fourfold um, because I think it's the most comprehensive and the most scientific. The first level is the physical. Now, the physical doesn't mean necessarily just the material. The physical is the structure that everything happens around, within, and whatever. However, the physical structure needs to be animated. And the animation comes from the etheric level, which is the life body. Another term Steiner used was the life body. That's where the living power comes from. So when you die, the that life power disappears and the body just disintegrates because the body in, in itself doesn't do anything. Now, the reason he talks about, um, you know, talks about the, the chemical, the chemistry, the biochemistry going on is because that's what's driving the biochemistry. And it, without the theory body, there'd be no biochemistry. It just follows, it just falls apart. It's an organizing principle. It's an organizing principle but operative in the physical body, you can see it in metabolism. You can see it in the, you know, everything that's going on that's of a living nature. But it's the etheric body in the physical. It's not just the etheric body, but the etheric body itself operates on its own, doesn't need the physical body. But once it enters the physical body, you get life, what we call biological life. The next level is what we mentioned, the astral body, which Steiner defines really as the body of feeling and emotion. And the highest level, he uses the term, but it's a false term from the German translation. Uh, we use in English ego, but it's really what you could call the ontological level of being, the state of mind, what he calls the I, the I being. And that's the spiritual level. So if we want to put it into more common terms, the I level or the ontological level is spirit, pure spirit. The next level, the astral level of feeling and emotion is what we call soul function. Okay. And then you go down to the etheric and the, and the physical operating together. You get the biological entity that we deal with on this earth, as it were. But... The interaction between the, uh, you could say, the etheric level dynamic activity in the physical body, which produces a certain effect, and the feelings and emotions coming from the astral body produces imbalances and disease. And finally, at the highest level, the ontological level, because ontology is the origin, the beginning of existence, the state of being, you get belief systems. So let's say you believe that uh, you have to be a vegetarian. This is a classic example. Now, 
There are some people who need to be a vegetarian. But let's say you made it a belief and everyone should be a vegetarian because you've decided that's what makes everybody healthy. But you're now at war with your biology because your biology may be such that you'll get sick if you become, and I have many patients like this. Me too. <laughs> yeah. A long you, history of them. <laughs> if you become a vegetarian, on the other hand, if you have a belief everyone should eat meat, you're in the same problem. So to be, to be a true scientist, you have to get rid of belief and only operate on principle, law and principle. And there are many factors that indicate whether you should be you know, eating this or eating that. We won't need to get into that because that takes us far afield. But the point is, if you have a belief, it's going to limit what you do. It's going to hamper what you do. And I've seen people let go of beliefs. Uh, once they get healthier and healthier, they start realizing that they were kind of, you know, fixated on certain ideas. So, but these are the four levels of being. And in the treatment, we treat all those four levels, but we treat them sequentially, meaning we start with the physical, then we work through the etheric, then we work through the astral body. And finally, because that's the most difficult, you work through the, the ontological or the belief systems, and, and that's the trickiest. But the point is, there's a map and there's a sequence. And within each one of those areas, there's a sequence. That's why I said it's not just enough to give the right remedy. You need to give the right remedy at the right time. Because if you don't, because the body operates and the etheric body operates and the astral body operate, they operate through time. And there are laws of time that apply. And if you don't follow those, you can screw up. Pardon my language. No, that's all right. You might, my, my audience is uh, used to me. I'm, you know, I'm pretty blatantly okay. expressive. So, uh, okay. Don't just, just express yourself. Okay, I come from a much more polite society, so some people don't like that term. But in any case, you you can really cause problems if you, like some homeopaths, for example, um, have understood that, you know, vaccinations are bad. There are a number of them, and they're starting to come up with ways of treating them. And I have had quite a few patients with autistic children who've gone to some of these homeopaths and they've treated for these vaccinations, but they totally destabilize the case and then end up coming to me because they find out circuitously, I guess, I treat vaccination. And they ask why, 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 what happened? And when you look at the case, you say, well, yes, you treated this, but it, you treated it at the wrong time. You're, you're, you're trying to fix something the body is moving through time. It's not, you're forcing it to go somewhere where it's not ready to go. And it's like, you know, putting the car in the wrong gear. You have to follow the right sequence of gears. And anyway, the point being that it, that needs to be understood, but the actual treatments of disease, and I mean these impediments in the generative power, it's very simple. Once you have the timeline, you've got a map. And a patient can give that to me very quickly. I don't need to. And if they are subconsciously suppressing something, the most amazing thing happens is usually it's from childhood. As you start approaching that and they're getting healthier, 
it pops up into memory and then we add it to the timeline. I have a map that I've created uh, with Dr. Almaguer's uh, help initially of the etheric uh, domain. I don't have a map, but I have a technology called bioresonance, which allows me to find the map because that's much more individual. It's not archetypal. The etheric level is archetypal, but the astral level is more individual. And finally, when you get the belief system, uh, then we have something we call dynamic education, which requires uh, a very individual approach to help them crack through their belief code, as it were. But that I don't touch until many years down the road, because you try to go up against someone's belief system before they're ready to, uh, that's like asking them to commit suicide. It takes a lot of support as well. It takes a lot of support, but you can only get at the lower level beliefs. The core beliefs, uh, they're going to hang on to come hell or high water unless they're ready to let it go. And to be ready to let it go, you have to be healthy enough. So it takes quite a journey to get through to the point where they're able to confront that core belief because that's their whole sense of identities around that belief. Yes, you, ha you have to have also reached a... Uh you have to also have reached a high enough level of individuation because the yep. destruction of a the belief ego. is also a destruction of the bonds to family, friends, co-workers, and the people that the child archetype gets its sense of survivability from. Well, and that's where your, your consciousness of self, who am I really, the de what we call the death of the ego and the birth of the I, the true self, that's what's required. Then you have the courage to face. And I've been through that myself. It feels like a crucifixion at times, but you do have the ability and the courage to go through that darkness and then come out the other end in, in the light again. But now you're in a different world. You're not on the same world you were living in before. Yes, it's a, it's a very interesting situation because we are really in a world that's I, I would say in metaphor, dying of belief systems. Yes. Yes. It's, but people hang on to their belief. It doesn't matter what kind of arguments or rationality or statistics, they hang on to their belief. But when they're healthy enough and they've let all these other things go, that's why you have to approach it gradually, build up their strength, build up their health, and then they can confront that, that deep, deep, core belief without dying, you could say, without the shock of it killing them or turning them, you know, psychotic. So they then they can survive that journey. I, I think too, my own experience of doing this kind of work, which, you know, I've been doing this for 38 years, so I've had a lot of time to study and I've got 175 Steiner books in my library. I've been studying for 25 or 30 years. Um, I think Part of the reason it's so important to, to take the road you're taking, which I do as well in my own system, is that each step of the way from the physical to, I'll just, instead of saying etheric, I'll say to dealing with the emotional components to then coming to the mental components. As we get oriented to our meeting our physical needs authentically, having a relationship with our body, listening to it, each step of the way, we're becoming a more integrated person. So 
by the time you get to the point where you have dealt with your physical self-management and you have a relationship with your body, then you start paying awareness to your emotions and using your own conscious intention to look at them carefully and ask yourself, is this really serving me? And how can I look at this differently? And instead of reacting to people say, what is their unmet need? What are they really trying to express instead of just assuming it? By the time you get to the point where you're ready to face a belief, if you take that road, you have the inner core strength, essence, and integration to do it. But if you, like you say, if you go after the belief first, then you're basically taking a person who doesn't know who they are yet anyhow. So how can you figure out what you believe? No, it's, you're, you're really, the key is, you know, it has to be scientific. And by scientific, I don't just mean material science. I mean, in the sense that Rudolf Steiner talks about what he calls spiritual science joined, joined with physical science. Um, if you don't follow the laws and principles that science, that the world operates on, then you're going to face problems. And and here is my major criticism of, on the one side, in the micro sense of the homeopathic community, is they don't understand all of these laws and principles. The second is a broader criticism of the natural health community. They don't understand these laws and principles either. They're very restricted and either to the material level or physical level and they, they haven't done the work you've done with Steiner, let's say. Um, but in the broadest sense, we have a whole problem of science that we're governed right now by a false science. A very false theory. science. Yeah. And what I'll just mention this, and it would be the, if you're interested, it'd be a topic for a whole other podcast. I'm actually doing one next Monday. I'm always interested, especially you, you've already shown me right out of the gate. You know, I already knew this coming in, but you know, you're a wisdom carrier. And so when I can find a guy like you or a woman with this kind of wisdom, that's where the magic really happens because anybody listening to you right now, even if they don't understand, can pick up your vibration and you are definitely in harmony with your truth. That's, you know, that's relevant. That's uh, very palpable in your field is what I would say. Okay. Well, thank you. But I always want to know. And even if I don't publish anything or tell anybody, I need to know. And I can't do anything unless I, I have a need to know. So the, I'm giving a, a talk, a, a seminar next Monday, actually, about this time on this topic. But the topic is the following. Unbeknownst to anybody, including homeopaths or anyone in the natural health field, there was a scientific revolution, what I call the second scientific revolution that occurred in Europe at the time Dr. Hahnemann was alive. And it's known as the Romantic Revolution. And you can read a bit about it, but you, you won't get the essence, but it's there. You can historically it's recognized. And that revolution is so profound, it laid the foundation, but it has not been brought forward because it just disappeared for various historical reasons, had laid the foundation for a true science of health. Okay. And a health in the broadest sense, wholeness, health. And it's a science. So it's not, well, let's try this or let's try that. There is a science there. And it goes all the way up to the spiritual level. And 
this I wrote a book actually, put it on Amazon.com on the uh, I think it's called the short history of the uh, romantic science or something. Uh, you can just look under my name. There's a number of books I wrote about the this period. But the point is the following: is that if we can bring forward that knowledge, and unfortunately, it's all in German. I have a very good friend, uh, Stephen Decker, who's a German scholar and and kind of Renaissance mind and man. So he really helped me with this. My German is not up to that. I get at it through the Dutch. But the the thing is, it's there are documents there that have never been translated into English that are at the foundation of this scientific revolution. So I'm trying to bring some of that out. But that knowledge is there to create a true science of health that tells you how to work on the regiminal side and how to work on the, uh, on the disease medicine side. So the science is there, it just has not been developed. But in any case, if we approach it based on science, then it's amazing what you can do. You asked uh, or you raised a question at one point about, you know, uh, how do we look at disease and illness from the physical versus the mental, emotional, you know, or soul spiritual, depending on how you want to define that. And uh, Steiner goes into this quite detail and Dr. Hahnemann went into this and the other contributors to this uh, romantic science revolution went into this. And the issue is really that most of the organic diseases, okay, what we call organic, meaning hitting the organs and the physical material level, are actually uh, coming from the uh, soul spiritual domain. And most of the so-called mental you know, illnesses, mental emotional illnesses, are coming from the physical domain, which is the counterintuitive, you would think. And, and Steiner explains this many times, but it's actually the case, is that if you are suffering from, let's say, liver cancer, it's not that's not coming from the physical domain. It's not because you were exposed to certain pesticides or you know, ate too many chemicals. It's because you have a deep, deep-seated uh, astral body problem uh, because every organ has specific karmic uh, configurations. So in my case, for example, because of my karma, I was born with a weak liver, which manifests as an occurrence through the RH problem at that time in the early 50s, which no one really understood, but that's an occurrence, that's a karmic thing. And so I have a weak liver. So, and I also had malaria. What's the RH problem? Uh, the RH negative, RH positive uh, in the blood. Okay. If the mother is RH negative, she will attack the fetus, the blood, or the immune system will attack the fetus uh, if it's RH positive. Okay. My father's RH positive, my mother RH negative. So anyway, it's a, it's well, you can, it's documented in the medical literature. But the point is, it affects the liver. So you're born, you're born with jaundice. I'm born in a, a malarial country, Indonesia. 
I get a really bad case of malaria almost killed me in, in my 20s when I went to uh, New Guinea. And I have a malarial state of mind, which comes with the malaria miasm. It's a miasm, a theoric archetypal miasm, once you understand it. So I have all of that stuff built up, you know, in me. But the, um, you could say, if I have a liver problem, it's not my liver that's the problem. <laughs> it's all of this karmic stuff that's feeding into the creation of my liver. And, and again, Steiner goes into great detail about how your physical body is built up through the etheric body influenced by the astral body as you're incarnating. But the point is, most organic illness, you can treat it and help it and support it. Yeah, you can take liver, you know, milk thistle. <laughs> yeah, you change your diet, but it isn't going to remove the karma that's built into your at the at the higher levels that's built into your liver, let's say, or kidneys, or spleen, or or heart. Yeah. So really, for the listeners, what 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 I'm hearing you say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you're saying that the formative forces acting on the liver are causing the liver to manifest the physical representation of the formative forces. So though to a standard doctor doing enzyme tests and things like that, it looks like you have a liver pathology, but in actual fact, what you're saying is it may not be the um, gasoline you're smelling or the uh, underarm deodorant or the vaccine aluminum it's the fact that your liver is unable to deal with those because the formative forces have disabled it and it could potentially heal you and clear those things if it was functioning the way it would without those negative forces. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, it, everything comes down to what are the built-in weaknesses that you have because what affects one person doesn't affect another. And so what affects you is very much linked to what your karmic makeup in your physical etheric body is so that you then become susceptible to, to that shock where someone else isn't bothered because, well, their karmic makeup is different. They weren't intended to be affected by, you know, certain things. So it's, it's, but generally speaking, uh, the physical body uh, operates on a totally different chemistry. You know, we talk about biochemistry, but that's not, we're talking even beyond that. Um, your body can produce everything it needs from just silica, okay, the most common substance in the world. And uh, this has been proven, but it needs to be healthy to do that. You could also live just from sunshine and, and air. Which many, many have proven. Exactly. But again, you need to adapt your lifestyle for that or be so healthy that you can do heavy physical labor, but just take in sunshine and, and air. But the thing is, the physical body is so hamstrung. And part of the belief system people have is... I can't do this, or I have a weak heart, or I have a this and I have a yep. that. And so they keep recreating it. They keep recreating it, but there's an element of truth to their belief because they do have a weak heart. But if you can get rid of the state of mind that is actually creating it, 
the heart will reconfigure itself once you get rid of the belief system that is causing your heart to be weak. It's, it's you know, the image that I get inside of myself as you're saying these words is cymatics. If you, if you change the frequency, you change the geometric pattern that emerges and thoughts and feelings are frequencies. Yeah. Everything, everything comes down to the, the, the mind and consciousness that's creating and driving the body. And, but then the question for therapists is, or practitioners is, how do we make the change? Well, this is where Hahnemann came in and said, if it's an imbalance, you need to balance. But if it's beyond imbalance into an impediment, you need to remove the impediment. And that you can't do through the law of opposites. You have to use the law of similars. And that's where Hahnemann's, you could say, special theory of therapeutics comes in, which is this use in a very targeted way through homeopathic remedies of the law of similars. That's the only thing that's going to remove that impediment. You can wall it. You can build up the system to carry it. But it's like a piece of shrapnel in your system. It's still there. And it, at some point, it's going to get you. I'll, I'll give you a story. Um, I had a patient who came to see me many years ago, and she didn't want to be treated at that point. She just wanted a second opinion. I don't know why she came to me. But in any case, she had a question. She said, here's my story. Five years ago, I was sick and I had all these problems. I went to see a naturopath, and he changed my diet, gave me some supplements, changed my exercise, did all of these things. All my problems went away. A year ago, so four years after this miraculous improvement, it all came back, and now it's worse. And everything this naturopath tries doesn't work anymore. And she wanted to know why. So I had to explain to her that what happened is that all those regiminal matters for the law of opposites built up your system to a point where the symptoms disappeared. But the underlying causation that went beyond just balance and better diet, but the deeper underlying causation was not touched, and it keeps getting worse and worse and worse over time. And it will reassert itself and now you're even worse off than you were before. And that's the part that Dr. Hahnemann's system, if we could call it again colloquially homeopathy, um, but it goes beyond this, the standard understanding of homeopathy, that's the genius. That's where he comes in and can offer something that no one else offers that I know of in, in terms of uh, using the law of similars that way. And that's very scientific because if you don't use the law of similars, you can only go so far. Hi, everybody. I'm not sure how familiar you are with minerals and trace minerals, but minerals are important to our body for many, many functions. And minerals and trace minerals also help regulate our hormonal system. And one of the products that I've been using for many years is Shilajay minerals. But when I got a hold of Shervine's Shilajay from Symbiotica, it was a total notch above anything I've ever tried. So I've got Shervine here to tell us what's special about his Shilajay and how to use it. You know, Shilajit is, uh, you can pronounce it any way you want. I like Shilajit. It makes me want to dance a little bit, mm -hmm. you know, because the actual product makes me want to dance. Good. I take it on the rise. You know, it's at the center point of Ayurveda. It's, you know, a collection of fulvic minerals, soil, D3 
decomposition of plant material. So you're getting all the minerals and it, you're getting it the way Mother Earth provided it and the right. way we can absorb it. And so the way I look at that, it's instant energy and it reduces acidosis across the body. So if you want to reduce and chelate acids out of the body, Shilajit is pretty much the answer and the solution to that. And you know, it's probably our best seller right now. Everybody's you know doing rituals with it on the rise and they're using it throughout the day. It makes for a really good you know tonic. It's delicious. Once your body starts getting acclimated to it, the flavor starts to kick in. And you know, if you're a coffee drinker, if you're a matcha drinker, if you're a tea drinker, this is a really good balancer to keep your body nourished of what you need. Because most people drinking coffee, yes. they're pouring acids onto an already acidic body. This is a good way to balance that out through the minerals. And if you're not eating certified organic food from good soils, you're eating mineral deficient food. And the minerals in Sheila J are very important for our skin, our nails, and our hair, which a lot of people have problems with. So I think this is a great product across the board for anybody. And our jing, right? So we are mineral deficient. Yeah. Our foods have been dilapidated, right? It's yes. like Franken foods, right? Shilajit is mineralizing you to the blood, to yeah. the bone. And if you're a man, you're really going to feel it. Let me tell you. Yeah, well, good. I'm sure the women will <laughs> like that. So get your jing yes. with your shilajit. And jing, you know, that means your, your juice, your life force, boys. And uh, the nice thing about shilajit is it does not take much at all. No. Uh, a serving is tiny. It's very potent stuff. So it's not like you have to use a lot. It'll last you for quite a while. To get 15% off this product and all the other amazing products by Symbiotica, go to symbiotica.com and use the promo code L4D15 at checkout. That's symbiotica.com, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com with the promo code capital L, the number four, capital D, and the number one five. You know what you're reminding me of is my studies of Steiner's teaching. He says, whenever you're dealing with a patient that has a chronic reoccurring illness, the most important thing you can do is help them identify their secret story. Yes, that, that gets into the belief system. That, that's their, uh, I'll give you an example of that. I had a patient who came in and uh, I was in a city that was mostly English, but also French speaking. And she came in speaking uh, French, but a fairly heavily accented French. So it kind of was a little difficult, but it didn't matter because she told me this story over and over again in, in the process of half an hour because she was obsessed about it. And the essence, I finally got it on the fifth time through all the, you know, the accent. She had been uh, abandoned, to use your example, in, when she was five years old. And she could never come to terms with that. It ruined her life. It ruled her life. And it was causing all these problems. And she was obsessed by it and everything else. So this is a case of, you could say, um, an issue that they're fixated on. But it has an actual causal causation, whether in this lifetime or another lifetime. So I treated for that abandonment and all of her symptoms disappeared beautiful beautiful now i warned her <laughs> said that isn't necessarily the end of it because we treated for the physical karma at some point you have to work your way through the etheric or you know life uh, body karma the formative forces karma 
and you have to then work your way through the other karma. And sure enough, that's what happens, is that this problem reasserts itself at some stage. She came back in, then we had to go through this etheric level karma, and then, I don't know, I haven't heard from her, so I'm assuming it might take quite a while before she goes through this astral body karma. But the point is that there are these multiple levels, but in each case, you need to remove it using the law of similars. You can't do it by psychotherapy or you can't do it by, you know, just boosting their system. It requires a specific uh, weapon, a bullet, you could say. And that's what the homeopathic remedy is. It's literally a targeted uh, bullet. Like an energy medicine. It, it's, it, it destroys the energy pattern because that's what disease is it's an energy pattern it may manifest physically but as disease in the etheric body lodged in the etheric body it's an energy pattern so it works on the basis of resonance so this is well known to sound engineers that if you point two speakers and they converge at the point they converge it's dead space you could I used to use that at uh, loud concerts because you could just stand there and you didn't hear anything. And there are many ways they use it, but that's effectively what you're doing is you're sending in a similar frequency, almost same sine wave, to attack another frequency. And the law of this sound engineering is it disappears. That's how Royal Raymond Rife destroyed cancer cells. Exactly, exactly. And, and, but all we're doing is doing it in not just against physical, you know, he went after a cancer cell or went after, you know, this vector or something. We can do it for, for uh, a feeling of abandonment. We can do it for uh, a vaccine injection. We can do it for if you, you know, took a poison or you got a yellow fever or cholera and you're still suffering or polio like that lady and you're still suffering the effects of that, you know, never been well since in homeopathy, that's what they call it is, well, I had cholera when I was a kid and I've never really been well since. So you can, you can send uh, a targeted energy pattern in. Now, if we jump from that, because you had a bunch of questions, I think about concerns about how do we uh, deal with all these attacks on homeopathy. Yeah, I wanted to make a statement uh, to you regarding the patient you were just talking about who you dealt with the physical level, then the etheric level, and you haven't seen her. I would predict that the onset of the astral level manifestation will be um, preceded by dreams that would suggest an imbalance is coming. Could be. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, for certain people that are open to that. Um, but nonetheless, to the, when it shows up, they show up. They need a symptom to drive them back. As long as there's no symptomology, people feel like they're fine. Yes, I know. That's, that's one of the hard aspects of healing because we most people don't have enough conscious penetration of their energy layers of self, be it the physical, the emotional, the lower mental, they don't have a relationship with their soul or their higher self. So once the physical body starts to feel good, they think there's nothing going on. It takes a fair bit of 
self-development, to be able to perceive formative forces that are bringing you out of balance at a deeper level than the physical body itself. But I think our culture is, I think it's two things. I think it's been railroaded for reasons of, you know, Rockefeller and others' little agenda and the dysfunction of our educational system. But I think that we also have a real problem with religion that isn't really teaching us how to become one with our soul and the truth of creation itself. So we've got these two isms that create <laughs> my essence. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and uh, you know, uh, Steiner's really great on that. Uh, I won't go into all the, the, his detail, but the point is he explains very clearly why we, we've come to this point. And, but right now, um, this is what Wilhelm Reich, Dr. Wilhelm Reich, called the schizophrenic split. And this is the split between uh, perception and sensation. And this is the problem. We are cut off from our sensation. And this, in, in a term most people would understand, is called autism. And this was identified... Um, clinically at least, because it exists in a subclinical level. But since about the Enlightenment, we've had the emergence of what I call the autistic state of mind. And it was identified finally in the 1930s in adults. Okay, um, Now it's in kids and children, younger and younger and younger. And But autism is a schizophrenic split. Okay, And um, so... The reason we're in this is because of the evolution of mind and consciousness, as Steiner would say. And we have to go through a material phase. We have to become very grounded materially, physically. But then we can't stay there. You know, it's like if you, if you run a race or something, you get to your destination. You can't stay there. you got to come back. You know, you, you got what it is you went looking for, and then you got to go back home. And so we now need to reverse thrust, as it were, and start working to go back up into spirit. Yeah. Now, what happened with in history is in, in the ninth century, the Catholic Church got rid of the spirit. Yeah. They had a, an ecumenical <laughs> council and they said there is no spirit, there's only soul. However, today we've arrived at the point where science says there's no soul. Yes, and Novel Harari and Klaus Schwab and all those guys are pushing yeah. that concept but pretty they're just intensely. Pick, they're, they're just picking up from the materialistic scientists who've dominated effectively since about the 1850s. And it's everything is a manifestation of uh, chance whirlings of unproductive particles, as uh, uh, Coleridge said. Yeah, it's it's um, this might be a big sidetrack, but, you know, doesn't this play hand in hand with the concept of Araman and Steiner's teachings? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Araman is the materialistic force that is trying to keep us, you know, grounded on the earth. Yeah. And it's what's behind transhumanism. It's what's behind, you know, what you just mentioned, uh, the WF, Schwab. And, you know, it's, 
it's all a manifestation of that. But the thing is, we have to go through this. There's no way around it. Our, our, despite what we do, our physical bodies are growing weaker and weaker and weaker because the earth is dying, you could say. Yeah, the earth it is. is yeah. yeah. So we try to boost that through organic, biodynamic, you know, more exercise, uh, organized exercise, etc. It never used to have to do that. And, but nonetheless, we need to move up to spirit. And that's what this whole system of romantic science is about, is how do we get back to spirit? Not just remove aches and pains and make people feel better, but how do we guide people back to the spiritual domain? I don't mean religious, but spiritual domain. Yes. I think it's important. You know, I, I define soul as the consciousness within that which is having an experience and spirit is the flow of energy and information. A simple analogy I give my students is if you take a, a standard shaman's drum, it's a skin stretched on a frame and you play it, just not playing someone else's music, but just play what comes through you, the drum is like the soul. It's having the experience and spirit is what's deciding how to play the drum. And to me, they're like two sides of a coin. You can't have a soul without spirit and spirit without soul has nothing to do. There's no drum to play. Yeah, no, that's a good analogy. Uh, spirit is the, the I, the, the, the thing that has always been and and will always be that is actually untouched by anything that you know you're going through in your journey through through life uh, the li different lives the soul is the manifestation of your experience of the i entering into a given lifetime and having experiences that's a soul activity and that soul activity then of course forms part of your next karmic uh, lessons because you did certain things, you chose to do certain things or chose not to do certain things. And then you get a chance to come back next time and basically uh, correct those, you know, errors, make a different choice. You could say. Because you're so fun to talk to on these things. And I think this is probably fascinating for the listeners. It, it should be. Here's, here's a sort of a meta construct. The, and I've spent a lot of time investigating this my own through my own spiritual investigations. And the thing that I've found that's quite magical and mysterious is all of this is God experiencing itself and its own potential. So paradoxically, Rudy, Paul, and all of us are agents of experience because God cannot possibly know itself without looking into itself and into its potentials. And the, the interesting thing is, and, and, you know, a lot of people don't like this, but because God is unconditional love, God has no fear of death or no fear of exploring disease or illness or even evil. So therefore, ultimately, um, all of these things that we're talking about are as important as uh, a birthday cake, a happy day, the birth of a new child, they're, they're really all deep explorations of God through 
all sentient beings. And I think why I think that's important is because when we come to the conscious realization that it's all God unfolding and experiencing itself, then we can actually develop a first-person relationship with God instead of having to read books and go to churches and be told what God is or what God wants, which is why Rumi said you cannot get to God until you become a heretic. You got to go you got to stop doing all that and have your own experiences. But the point I'm driving at is, and for me, it's important. And I've worked with a lot of people on this, including Jason Picard, who referred you to me, is that when you really realize that you are working as intimately as your breath with God, then you can become a co-creator and start working with God to say, okay, I've had enough of this Alzheimer's, let's create something beautiful out of it. And and that's when I think the flow of spirit opens up because to do that, you also have to be willing to change your belief systems or let them go. And that requires a deep level of connection to your soul because your higher self ultimately gives you the wisdom instead of your ego saying, well, I have to believe in this or else or what, then you, your, your soul takes you on a journey and as long as you have that connection to God within, then you can be strong enough to put up with family members that attack you, or, and you can have the empathy and compassion for others that are also doing their God work. And I think that's really been cut out of religion. It's confused in philosophy in many ways because there's so many antagonistic opinions, but I think that that's ultimately, I've found and worked with as I'm sure you have, many, 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 many very, very sick, confused, injured people. But when I can get them to that place of realizing that they have the greatest power in the universe to work with and they can become a co-creator and that whatever they've been going through becomes a gift to everybody else. You know, when you heal your liver like that, Chances are good, Rudy, won't you think? If you didn't have that disease, you would not be sitting here talking to me today. You wouldn't have become the man you are. And thousands and thousands of people would not have found their path to wholeness without you having that disease. So I really, this is what I call the pain teacher. The pain teacher comes to guide you onto your soul path. But if you keep drugging it and ignoring it, then you just basically stay unconscious. Yes, no, you're absolutely right. And I mean, even if you look at scripture, the very first word in Genesis, which unfortunately in English is translated in a very banal way, it's in the beginning. But there the, is no the, beginning. No, the Hebrew term Bereshith actually means uh, what you're saying, which is God. Well, it doesn't use the word God, but being becoming so being exploring itself through a process of becoming to know who it is so we become a part of that unfolding and that in the, the 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 unity of god starts to individuate because that's what god or being wants and then we have to go on our journey which is what the uh the uh, prodigal son is all about and 
then you get to the statement that Christ makes, which is all these things that I have done, you and more you will be able to do, which means we're already being told of this co-creator relationship. But it all comes down to, in the Lord's Prayer, to the statement, thy will, not my will be done. There's only one prayer in Scripture, and um, it's the only prayer you can make, everything beyond that, because there are, there are three or four different Greek words that are translated as prayer, but they actually mean something else. If you're asking God not to have something happen or please spare this person, that's not a prayer. That's a, a pleading, an entreaty, a kind of begging, you could say. Yeah, it's a negotiation. It's a negotiation, or you hope it's a negotiation. But the only prayer is, thy will, not my will be done. And so you were created by God for a purpose. You have a purpose. Your job is to, uh, it's like Mission Impossible, Mr. Phelps, your job, should you decide to accept it, is the following. But you're given the gift of forgetfulness, so you don't remember. Like, I spent 40 years of my life in a dream world. I didn't know who I was. I was just who other people thought I was. <laughs> and I went through this process, my parents, my boss, my family, my kids, whatever. And I went through this process of treatment that I'm describing to you, and I came out of it with this profound understanding of who I was and what my purpose was, which is what I'm doing right now. And it's very clear to me. And I do it even if you didn't want to talk to me or anybody would want to read anything I do. I do it anyway because I'm, it's like asking a dog not to be a dog. You know, like you've got to, be, you've got to do what is built into you by God. And so when you do that and you follow that path, then you're living in this world of love, not fear, or, or what in scripture is called agape, which is a very special kind of love, a soul spiritual kind of love. So it's, it's the love that holds together. Yeah, it's not, it's not superficial or uh, idealistic, like, well, we should just love everybody. I can still get angry at people. I can still be upset about things that we have our human nature. But you're able to take a deep breath, which is very important Rumi, in Rumi's context, let's say. You're able to take a very deep breath, and you're able to say, ah, but this is meant to happen. I'll give you an example. I had a, a person who owed me a lot of money, a lot, <laughs> and he refused to pay me. Now, I have a choice. I can try to sue him, or I can just say, okay, that happened. I don't want to spend and waste all my energy negatively on pursuing that. I'm just going to continue on with my life. You know, it's a lesson learned, and obviously I'll figure out what the me deeper meaning of that is at some point. I chose to walk away, and I have to say I haven't regretted it one moment, because otherwise I would have been mired in this. You yeah, know, it would have been a source of illness for you. It becomes a source of illness, but you never, you never let go. You, you become obsessed by it, and even if you win in some way, you never win. And at, so... I just, it was so liberating. Just people, how could you do that? Well, I don't know how I could do it. I just did it. It felt right. But you, you're right. You need to be kind of healthy enough. I couldn't have done that in my old self, but my new self didn't care because 
what mattered to me was just continuing on with my journey. I didn't want to get sidetracked yeah. by the whole process. Yes, because you were aware of what real freedom is. For me, yes, that, that, that was freedom, yeah. You know, what came to me as you were talking about this whole relationship of God and the experience and all that, uh, because that's very important, is, is Arthur Young uh, says something very profound that very few people can consciously grapple with. He says, non-being is significance because it is aware of being. And basically translated, it means God is ultimately conscious because it is aware of everything that we call being and anything that exists as that which can be identified as something through mind is being. Well, God is going through a process of consciousness, evolution of consciousness, because if we're made in the image of God and we're part of what we call God, we're going on this journey. That means God is going on that journey. So God is learning. That's what Bereshith means. If you talk to a, you know, a Hebrew rabbi or a Jewish rabbi, is this process. God is in this process of self-discovery. And we're part of this process of self-discovery. And since we're made in the image of God and we're part of this process of self-discovery, then our job is not to be something else. If we're a dog, our job is to be a dog and the best dog we can be. If, if your job is to, uh, you know, teach people about natural health or, you know, communicate, then that's what you should be doing. Uh, if my job is, which I see is to develop this romantic science and let the world know, I don't care if anyone really knows, but my job is to do that. God will figure out the time and when that gets spread out because you, whatever you think becomes part of the etheric space around the earth, what we call the earth. And when new souls come down and reincarnate, they literally go through this etheric cloud, you could say, the cloud of unknowing. And when they come to earth, they have that in your consciousness. Like it, it always amazed me that little two-year-olds can operate an iPhone. Yeah, yeah, I've got a three-year-old and she's, got, she's better at it than I am. <laughs> there you go. But why is that? Because when they came down, that was part of built into their wisdom, their inner wisdom. I'm I'm 61, and there was they they didn't even have faxes when I was a kid. No, but that wasn't part of the wisdom package that you got. But next time you come down, if you in your next incarnation, what I am telling you now will become part of the wisdom package. And what I'm telling you is I'm in no rush for the next time. <laughs> no, I, I agree. I'm not either. But you know, the, <laughs> point, the point is, I don't really care if it gets acknowledged or picked no, up. No, I, I totally get it. Yeah, no, no, I'm I'm 100% with you. And look at all the great teachers that, you know, spent their whole life putting their heart and soul into something and then weren't even recognized for 500 years. But that's okay because it's on God's time, not not on our time. And that's yeah, it's like we're planting seeds that they have to germinate in the right time, place, space, environment 
so that exactly. they can take hold and be the medicine for when they're supposed to be germinating. Exactly. Exactly. Your job is to simply think the right thoughts according to the God's will, meaning your desire function that was implanted in you. And the rest, the rest you just have to leave to God. God's going to figure out the right time for these things to manifest. And, and just, just to, to, to carry this a little bit into a slightly different perspective, because I think, you know, this is exactly what I teach my, my students and my patients, but the, there's an underlying message that I think is very important for people listening to hear, and that is this. When you're following your soul's impulse, I call it your north star, your compass bearing, right? When you're doing what it is that you feel called to do, then you're always making love. You're, you're powered by love, and a labor of love is sustainable. I mean, I've been through hell, and so is my wife to bring this institute and keep it alive. We survived the 2008 stock market crash. I got $750,000 in debt. I had to double my workload. I almost killed myself trying to bring us back. If I did not have an intimate connection to God and my soul, it, it would have destroyed me. If I was doing this for any other reason than the fact that it was what was coming out of my heart, and I know in every fiber of my being, it's why I incarnated. I couldn't have made that journey. And I think, you know, it's interesting because statistically, two studies I've, I've known about, one in Europe, one in the United States, one in Europe found that 70% of people surveyed said they hated their job. And the same surveys used in the United States found 75% of people hated their job. So really, you see what we're, what we're looking at here is a, a very heavy application of the prostitute archetype. Yeah, it is. But they, most people, even if they change their job, they wouldn't be happy. They don't know who they are. That's the problem. Yes. And that's the, that's the journey. But you have to listen to your heart in that process. Or you just keep re like the woman who keeps marrying wife beaters. You keep doing the same shit over and over again. And, and so that's the experience you're giving God. And I say, you can do that, but that's an old one. Why don't you try something new? Well, you're, you're running off what you're describing is you have two energy systems in your body. Okay. One is if we just use it uh, uh, at the physical level, the uh, mitochondria. Okay. And, and that is like a battery. Okay. It runs down, needs to be recharged. It's, it has a limited supply. But it's one most of us uh, operate off of. I know it very well because when I wasn't operating according to my desire function, I suffered from chronic fatigue. Now, the other operating system is what Wilhelm Reich called uh, orgone energy. Okay, and this uh, runs through your uh, blood system. It's a totally different source of energy. The one, the mitochondria operates through inputs, food, air, sunshine, you know, all of these things. The principles of nature. The principles of nature, the, the fundamentals. You have to take things in and you have to process it and you get energy. You Anabolic, burn. catabolic. Exactly. But the other form that's running through the blood doesn't operate from inputs or what uh, the romantic scientists called excitations. 
they operate through what they call incitation. So you love, if you want to use the word love, you're doing what you love. You have this uh, perpetual motion machine inside you. It does not need, like you could operate 16 hours without drinking, eating, sleeping, just because, and I've done this, and of course, we're not all there yet, so we still have some ego and other things, so we still depend. But I've discovered in myself, but also in patients, the healthier you are, the more you're operating on your desire function, the less you need in terms of inputs, the more you're producing inside, from inside. And so eventually you get to the point where, as Christ said, I have bread you know not of. And that means this inner capacity you start and steiner talks about this he said we have to get to the point where we produce the light we produce the energy we produce everything and we start exporting it yeah to me that's you know what i call spirit but as an analogy this is much more the navigational system based on magnetism that birds use to migrate. You see, so when we're following that blood-borne spiritual pathway, we have a we have a sense of the magnetic pull of our own soul. And and that I think is ultimately what we need. If you use it as an analogy that'll work, but if if you know from Steiner the mag electrical magnetic system operates through the power the prince of darkness and the prince of light so aramon and lucifer this other power source uh, which uh, dr reich identified orgon energy um that operates through the christ impulse mm -hmm. yes i'm using it as a, an analogy for yeah, an analogy. a spiritual compass Yes, it's a spiritual compass. Yes, exactly. Yeah. This is very, very good conversation. I'm really grateful that I, that Jason led me to you. And I think you're giving me an, a chance to express, by the way, my new book's full of this kind of stuff. So oh, it's almost like Great. we're, we're, you know, you're preempting the release of my new book, which is fantastic. Hi, everybody. I'm super excited to tell you about Organifi Gold Chocolate, something that is very tasty and that my kids love. Organifi Gold Chocolate is a superfood hot chocolate healthy enough to drink every day. In fact, multiple times a day if you want. In fact, unlike most chocolate drinks that stimulate you and may disrupt your sleep if consumed after about four in the afternoon, my kids drink it right before bed. And unlike chocolate in general, it actually helps them sleep. Organifi Gold Chocolate doesn't include blood sugar spiking ingredients like other hot chocolate alternatives, leaving you feeling good about indulging in this healthy chocolate beverage. It was formulated to deliver the same amazing benefits as Organifi Gold, but with a delicious chocolate flavor to help curb those holiday cravings, which we all seem to get. Some of the key benefits of Organifi Chocolate Gold, or Gold Chocolate, is that it has 10 superfoods for rest and relaxation. 100% USD organic certified, tastes delicious in warm water and amazing with milk or milk alternatives, promotes and supports relaxation so you can fall asleep with ease, supports a better night's rest so you wake up refreshed, and promotes a healthier response to stress and gives calming support. 
As you know, what most people reach for when they want something super tasty and enjoyable is generally not healthy, but that's not the case with Organifi Gold Chocolate, which is USDA certified organic, certified gluten-free, and certified glyphosate residue-free, which is very important, dairy-free, which is great for guys like me, soya-free, which is very important, vegan, non-GMO, and clinically proven ingredients, 100% organic whole food, which means it's great for everyone. Save 20% on your purchase of Organifi Gold Chocolate by using the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20. That's check 20 on checkout. Go to Organifi.com, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash check 20. And again, for your 20% Living 4D discount, use the code check 20 in all caps. Enjoy Organifi Gold Chocolate. One of the key reasons that inspired me to get a hold of you and I, I shared this with you but I'll share it with the audience is I I do you know I, I have a habit of testing things and I do detoxes and I like to vaporize tobacco and herbs I have a sort of a, a shaman uh, side of myself and I, I'm an alchemist I explore you know sitting right over here is hundreds of essential oils flower essences herbs and and I'm always looking for new ways to uh open up new doors, experience things. I love the, the natural kingdom. So I got this homeopathic kit from Desbio. It's a detox kit and it's, it's really good. And the first time I put the drops in me, I went, whoa, that is really powerful and it's working and it was causing stuff to come out of my body. I'm like, this is great stuff. But the punchline is it came with a little flyer. You open the box and there's a little flyer on the top and it says, uh, and it was like an announcement that for your information, due to government pressures in Canada, the United States, our homeopathic products may no longer be available. And my first reaction was, <laughs> I have to say, I was pissed off. I'm like, Jesus Christ, when are these assholes going to give up on trying to stop it from stop people from being healthy? They're making it illegal to be healthy. They're making it illegal to get real medicine and and so the instant that I read that, I said, I have got to talk to Rudy about this. Okay. And so that's what pushed me over the fence because I'm very busy. And I said, okay, I got to reach out to Rudy. Jason's been trying to get me to do it. I'm so busy. But now I can't be too busy because I know he's going to have something to say about this. And so I'd like to hear you share your thoughts on what is, what is really driving all this from your perspective and, and what does it really mean? Okay. Well, I, I mean, we can look at it from a number of different levels and I can give you the negative side and the very good and positive side. I was involved in the Canadian government with uh, attempts to regulate homeopathy to, to try to stop it, et cetera. But it, it goes on everywhere and, and they will succeed. And that is the bad news. They will succeed in, at some point, banning uh, so-called homeopathic remedies. Uh, that's just the nature of the evolution of consciousness. The, the prince of darkness is taking over his domain, you could say. Now, so what do we do about it? Well, at a purely practical level, you can stave it off to some degree, because I don't know exactly when they'll succeed, but... Uh, there is a very good organization in the United States. It doesn't, there's no equivalent that I know of in Canada, but 
Canadian, I send Canadians down there anyway because they produce all the good information. It's called the National Center for Homeopathy. And uh, they have a website, uh, nationalcenter.com or homeopathycenter.com, I think it is. Let me just have a look here. Uh, yeah, I think it's homeopathycenter.com and uh, dot, dot org, sorry, dot org. And so they have an incredible website, resources. Uh, you can find out what's going on in the different states and around the world. And they publish all sorts of material. If you become a member, you help support the battle against, you know, uh, regulation and shutting down homeopathy. So that's at a very practical level. Yeah. But I don't have a lot of optimism uh, starting about 20 years ago. I, I don't have a lot of optimism that we will succeed. Uh, that at some point they're going to ban. So I started looking for alternatives and, and, as my consciousness developed, this is the alternative that I came up with. And I've been doing it for a good 15 years, and it works very well. Is we don't use the um, material carrier, okay? Because when you impregnate uh, a globule or a wafer or, uh, you know, some liquid with the supposed homeopathic remedy once it's been you could say diluted and succussed so far there's no more material right not even okay. one atom so you're you you've split spirit from matter now so because unfortunately we're still materially minded we think we have to deliver that spirit in matter back matter Although we use uh, sucrose or, you know, just water, it's just, oh, so be the carrier. It's safer than, you know, the arsenic was on its own. However, you can deliver this energy, this spirit, it's not truly spirit, but it's energy. It's in from the spiritual domain. Um, you can deliver that a number of ways without using a material carrier. Sure. Like intention. Intention. You can deliver it. I start with my patients by having them do what I call a paper remedy. Jason knows this very well. And what you do is you just get them to write down the name of the remedy and the potency and how frequently and, you know, whatever. And it works very well. I have many patients, that's all they do because then we don't have to worry about mailing and shipping and because we have problems at the border with customs and everything else cheaper too it's cheaper i use it for all patients in emergencies because that's the only way i can intervene instantly and they accept it then every patient because you know when they're in emergency you take any help you can get right yeah <laughs> you're desperate so the other one is purely uh as you say intention i can broadcast it which i do for some patients because they're too sick to you know do that or think of it or whatever but if they ever get around to banning homeopathic remedies, I can still deliver them. If they ever get around to banning homeopathic practice, which is another thing they'll go after, because they'll either try to regulate and restrict it, which they've done in Canada, or they'll try to ban it one way or the other. They'll make it ineffective to be 
homeopathic practitioner, then you don't become a practitioner, you simply become a counselor because there's no, never been laws against just counseling people on you know, what they should do. And then part of the counseling is simply, you know, if I were you in your situ situation, I would write these things on a piece of paper or I would think these things every day, three times a day, like an intention. As you yes. Say. Uh -huh. And that's the way around it. And it's just as effective. You will have just the same effect if you took those remedies from that kit and the one you wanted and wrote it on a piece of paper. It would work just as well. Assuming you accepted in your consciousness, you, you didn't block the intention. Well, you'd, you could block the homeopathic remedy itself the same way. Yes, absolutely. So if, if, you're, not, if you're not able to accept the remedy, it doesn't matter if it's pill form, liquid form or whatever. It's now you're, you're, you're just doing a, a exercise and spending money uh, on something that you're not going to allow to work. Yeah, it's assumed that you're open to taking it, even if you're skeptical. You can be skeptical, but if you refuse, well, then, of course, why are you there, as you say? Um, but the other reason those remedies in your kit work so well, because it's another question I think you asked, is gets to this point that almost all of the remedies in that kit are, have nothing to do with homeopathy. And what I mean by that is it has nothing to do with treating based on symptomology. It's treatment based on causality or on uh, what we call similarity of situation. And that is very easy to identify. I have my own formulas. I developed them over the years and I just apply them to certain situations. They're not causal though. So I don't pretend they're causal, but they work very effectively at removing symptomology, distressing symptomology. But the ones that are causal, like let's say you get a bee sting. Mm -hmm. There's a remedy in there for bee sting, apis. It's causal because apis is honeybee. Uh -huh. <laughs> so it's made from the honeybee, the stinger and the, the venom of the honeybee, or wasp, or uh, arnica, for if you have a contusion, it works very well. So the reason they work generally very well is because they're causal. Or... They're formulaic, but they're formulaic in a proper way, not just, well, let's just throw a bunch of remedies together. They, they have an underlying principle and purpose, and they can be very powerful. Yes, yeah, especially the healthier you are, the faster they're going to work. One of the questions I had on our list is, when did homeopathy and allopathy part ways and why? I mean... Well, they never, they never came together. What happened was that the ancient Greek Hippocratic medical system fell apart in the uh, 18th century. And out of that falling apart and a disaster came a crisis. And out of that crisis in Germany, of which Dr. Hahnemann was part, came this new approach called romantic science. And Goethe was behind it and everything else. However, what happened is that the material mindset of the scientists was by and large weighing down this whole attempt, Kitty Hawk flight, of nah. trying to get a true, a true romantic science going or spiritual, soul spiritual science, uh, what Steiner calls spiritual science. But 
By, by about 1850, two developments took place, Pasteur and Rudolf Virchow. So Virchow, who was actually uh, in many ways a vitalist, because he, you can't come up with the cellular theory unless you're a vitalist, but he came up with the idea that the center of life was the cell. And that gave the material mindset, oh, we can work with that. We can look at the cell, we can analyze the cell, and oh, that's where life is. It's in the cell. And then, so that took over of any attempt to look at life in a more holistic, uh, spiritual, soul-spiritual way, just reduced to the cell. So we get cellular biology. Then the next thing that happened is Pasteur with his germ theory. Disease is because of this little animalcule or parasite or virus or bacteria, doesn't matter. We've reduced disease to a material cause. And that took over. And then the third thing that took over was genetics, the gene. Now, genes make up 1 to 3% of all the factors in disease. They play a role, but 1 to 3%. And the rest is what? Epigenetics. (laughs) Yeah, epigenetics, exactly. But they've only discovered that 20 years ago. You know, my, my brother's a geneticist, and I've had long conversations with him about this. But the point is, those three events basically sealed a material a box around life. And it wasn't that the allopathy and homeopathy parted company. It's that basically the scientific community that was dealing with medicine just basically rushed into this material box. And then anything outside of that was occult, you could say, which is what it means, outside. And homeopathy fit into that category. So then the battle began between the homeopaths and these allopaths. Now, the term allopath comes from Dr. Hahnemann. They don't call themselves allopaths. Dr. Hahnemann called them allopaths because he said, if you follow the law of similars, you're a homeopath or a homopath because it depends same. on how you're the same or identical, similar. And But if you're not following any law or principle in medicine, you're an allopath. Allo means other. You have some other approach, which is usually just pragmatic. Well, let's try it on a bunch of people and see what happens. You know, <laughs> Like the vaccines. <laughs> well, the injection is not a vaccine, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah I understand, injection. yeah. But yeah, let's just try it. We'll do a clinical trial. And, and well, <laughs> whether they like it or not, <laughs> whether they like it or not. And, and if 60% of them seem to get well, well, okay, uh, we'll, we'll sell it. But there's no principle, there's no natural law behind it. So that's why it's allopath. So you could say the allopaths parted company. It wasn't homeopathy was part of this new revolution, the scientific revolution, which is still, trying to be born, you could say, which I think it will be after this disaster with allopathic medicine over the next 10 years. Uh, On the other side, I think we'll have this rebirth of of this new scientific uh, spiritual medicine. Um, So they parted company with homeopathy, not the other way around. And then, of course, it was sealed in the the 20s uh, through the, you know, the Flexner report, uh, which is well known, etc., and the co-opting of all the medical schools and even the so-called allopathic medical schools became a drug pushing centers. 
which interestingly, Bill Gates Sr. was one of the key organizers of that whole movement. Exactly. So they they took over because the old fashioned doctors up until the 1950s, they use herbs and they use medicine, uh, you know, uh, uh, sometimes psychotherapy. They used uh, exercise, sunshine, fresh air, you know, they used all those things. But it got co-opted to a medicine is this is the drug for treating this. And this is the dosage. And this is what you have to watch out for for side effects. That's medicine. Unless you're a surgeon, then that's a whole different treatment. But just for internal medicine, it just amounts to, for this condition, you give this antibiotic or this drug. And if that one doesn't work, well, then you try these ones because there are sometimes paradoxical effects in people. And, well, we don't know why. We don't know which upper is going to work for ADHD. So you try five or six until you hit one that seems to work. You know, Or lose the patient. <laughs> or lose the patient. But the point is, allopathic medicine just got kept all medicine got captured by this materialistic mindset as a result of the revolution through cellular biology the germ theory and then finally genetics and so the 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 birth of this new scientific revolution in medicine healthcare was literally suppressed so on i can publish something in uh, wikipedia as long as I'm talking about something that happened before 1850, if I try to talk about something after that, it will get suppressed because that's the divide. Anything before then, they don't care about, oh, that's just history. And But if you start talking about anything after that, the editors come in and they start attacking you. So Yeah, I'm, I'm wanting to ask you, you know, when we look at this from a Steiner perspective, and or your own, which can be oriented towards Steiner or not, however you want to answer the question. We're talking about global forces acting on our consciousness that are playing themselves out in everything that you've been describing. You know, Steiner talks about the different phases that we've been through, the different planets we've been on. Uh, what what do you see going on from a meta perspective? If you if you you know, it's easy to get caught in the jungle of it all, like you know, vaccine passports and uh, you know, lockdowns, and you know, you, you know, you, you can get caught down in the trenches and not really climb up and and you know, do what the alchemists call sublimation, rise above and get a big picture view. How do you see this? playing out from a spiritual perspective? What do you think is really unfolding here? Well, I, that's, that's what I, why I finally accepted Steiner. I read Steiner for many years and, and dismissed him and just could not get in his system. But then I, I read his uh, PhD thesis and I went on from there. But he's very scientific, very rational, although people you know, show him as being this kind of uh, spiritual, intuitive kind of thing. But no, he's very rational and very scientific. He was a trained scientist. He's a trained scientist. And he, and he knew the science of his day as well as anybody. What he tells us is the following, exactly following from what you said, is we're all on a journey. The, the, what's called the earth has been through many iterations. And the one we're in now is going through various iterations. But we're on a journey from God back to God, the prodigal son. We have to get to a zero point 
and that is the zero point of uh, ma um, incarnation into materiality. And that zero point occurred, as Steiner said, in 1879. And prior to that, uh, we were losing all of our old consciousness, all of our old intuition, wisdom. We all got locked into this mental box. Okay, that's why we're schizophrenic, because when you're locked in a mental box, you have no connection with the heart, no connection with the, you know, the feelings and, and the wisdom. You're, you're, you're cut off. Okay, that's the zero point. Now, what Steiner says is our job now is to reverse thrust and go back up. But what does that mean? It means we have to increasingly leave the physical body. That's why Steiner said what although he didn't use the term, but what you, he knew it would happen roughly about now, what we call transhumanism, that is part of this evolutionary journey. It's, it's, it's bad if you look at it one way, but it's also meant to happen because we have to get out of our physical body. Uh, and well, that'll take thousands of years, but it's a process that is starting now where increasingly we have to rise back up to the etheric level. So if you've done a lot of, uh, you know, consciousness raising, treatment or whatever, I've certainly experienced this, your physical body uh, will become weakened and you have to do a lot of work to keep it in shape because just on its own, it's not going to do that. So you have to really work at it. <laughs> That's why we have something called regimen. People didn't used to do that. They just, they had it. So we're losing our natural health in the physical body. So we have to really buttress that and work at it, which is okay. But we also have to accept that we're having to start to loosen ourselves from the physical so that we can get into the energy level. Because the more you get in the energy level, the more you have access to what we could call magical thinking and magical medicine or, or regimen. Because if, if I can tell you think this remedy, that's magical, what many philosophers call magical thinking. It's not magical in the sense that there's no law or science behind it. It just means in most people's eyes, look, ma, no hands. It's, it's nothing physical transpired. And, it, and it's, you know, a lot of people, philosophers attack the whole magical consciousness. They talk about it as childish and whatever, but... <laughs> I hate to say, but that's what the placebo effect is proving to you, you know? Exactly. But they, you know, again, they're locked. They have their blinkers. They have their belief system, and they're not going to change that. Just even quantum physicists recognize they couldn't change the views of the classical physicists. You know, they just had to gradually win the war over time. So we're heading up, but that means that we're facing a choice. And you can see that the choice is, are you heading up or are you staying here? And the more materialistic you are in terms of your pursuit in life or your values in life, or if you're captured by your possessions, material possessions, you're staying, you're locked in. This is what in the, uh, you know, the Gnostic literature is called being buried alive. Okay. But if you choose to go up, you're going to have a struggle because, uh, you know, from the matrix, the Medusa creatures, right? 
they come and attack that spaceship or that uh, whatever and they're trying to get into the that's what you're going to get as you start going up you're going to get attacks from the aromatic the prince of darkness forces the medusa creatures so you really it's not an easy journey but that's the choice you want to go up and that has to do with truth and love and living your uh, true desire function knowing who you are well i can tell you if you had told me all the pitfalls i'd taken to get here I probably wouldn't have done it. At the time, my consciousness was such it would have scared me to death. But I had no choice. Yeah, I, I think that I think that has a lot to do with the gravity that stops people from engaging legitimate spiritual practices. There's this unconscious awareness that it's a lot of work. You know, it's a lot of discomfort, and you know, the ego, the ego is very uninterested in anything that that takes away its sense of control and assurance. And spiritual, real spiritual practice is just is is a, is a progressive ego death. It is. It is exactly, and that the the ego fears death, and so. But you have to be pretty desperate to finally. I was pretty desperate, so I you know I can't claim. Oh yes, I knew exactly what I needed to do. I was just desperate, but I find you have to be desperate enough to understand there has to be another way. I can't keep going on the road I'm on. That's a disaster. It's going to end badly. So another road is worth taking, even if it means a lot of difficulties. So. There, there's something that I want to talk to you about, and I'm really enjoying this. Thank you. You know, it's lovely to speak to someone with your depth that's very grounded as well. And I'm, I'm proud of you, man. I'm on namaste for that. You know, you're... you're very real. Uh, and I have a bullshit buzzer on me that's very well tuned. And right now my truth buzzer is going, I feel very grateful to have been able to share this time with you. And uh, I will definitely keep you in my conscious Rolodex because there's plenty of people out there that can use your help. Two, a couple of things come to my mind. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll state one and I'll state the other and you can answer them however you want. One, what we're talking about, what you're talking about is unlocking ourselves from matter. This is clearly what the alchemists were up to. Yes, they were separating. Sep well, that's what home the homeopathic remedy is doing. It's separating the energetic or spiritual component from the matter. Yeah. I mean, I've been studying alchemy and Jung. I've got Jung's entire collected works. I've been studying Jung as long as I have Steiner. Um, the other thing is, is in that vein, I you know, the transhumanism thing and kind of becoming almost bionic, uh, to me, that's not really, that's not really freeing ourselves because it's really a form of biohacking and it's trying to, it's, it's not developing the inner, you know, Steiner talks about how spiritual practices, he says, for every physical organ, you have a subtle energy organ. And spiritual practice develops those subtle energy organs, which allows you to remain conscious when you die. I don't give a shit how many computer chips you have in your damn head. You might be leaving the human realm as we know it, but you're not actually, in my opinion, evolving to the point where you're going to have consciousness in higher vibrational states. You're still going to be trapped in this materialistic mindset. I think it's really dangerous. It is. It is dangerous, but it's it's a program 
being run by Araman, by the prince of darkness, the prince of the earth, to trap people because it's in his interest to keep people here. So to the extent that people are, uh, you could say, non-spiritual in a way, have no connection with anything beyond the material world, and unfortunately most people are like that, uh, it's, very, it's very attractive. You know, they promise uh, eternal life. But it's a lie. Well, they promise you'll own nothing and be happy. And my answer is, let me see you do it first. Yes, exactly. But the point is that that is the choice that's being offered. Okay. It's like it's a, it's a Faustian journey we have to go on. Very you know, much. The real, the real lesson of Dr. Faust was that he had to learn all of this and, and finally realize in the end, as Greta did it brilliantly, you know, where the true path lay. And um, so we're having to make that choice. So we don't have free will, we have freedom of choice. The thing is, if you're not awake, truly, and you're a somnambulist, which most people are. Sleepwalker. So <laughs> yeah, sleepwalkers are zombies in many ways. They're going through life. I went through life for 40 years as a sleepwalker. But when you wake up one day, and then you realize there's something beyond this material world, that there's a whole existence beyond, then you're interested in discovery that, discovering that and exploring that and going there. And it's a, much, it's a much more interesting place. But on the other hand, if you don't wake up and you're captured and seduced by all the bells and whistles of technology and money and a big house and a big car and fame and, you know, whatever you want to call it, um, then you're going to stay in this material realm. Now, you will physically die, but you're right. You're going to go into a very low level of what the Indians called the Devakan. And that's a very low level of spiritual existence. And you're not really going to have learned anything. <laughs> so just perpetually stuck and dying with the earth, as it were. But the test for most people would be, uh, you know, the, the Faustian bargain would be, if you're doing what you're doing, and I said to you, Paul, um, I'll give you $10 million to do something else, to stop doing what you're doing. If you're in any way tempted by that, you know, then, then you've got something to worry about because inside you there is some tempter that's the you know the temptation of christ in the wilderness and mara <laughs> yeah and so but if you said you know no thanks i enjoy what i'm doing i have what i need i got a roof over my head i get food every day and i'm able to do the work i'm doing um why why would i give this up yeah exactly i mean if I had $10 million, I would do exactly what I'm doing. And if I had $10 million that wouldn't allow me to do what I would do, I would say that's not helpful at all. <laughs> exactly. So, But the test is, it's like a test as to how much part of you is still in living in temptation. But when you can honestly say, I'm sorry, it doesn't interest me one iota. I'm not even contemplating it because it just does not compute. It would be the death of my heart is what would happen. It would be the death of you. There may be a zombie that takes over, but 
the death of you, you're, you'd be committing suicide. Now, nobody is healthy commits suicide. So if you can pass that test, then you know, yeah, I, I'm, I'm doing what I'm meant to be doing, and I'm on my way up. I'm not going to get trapped and entombed and buried alive in, in the materialistic mindset, because that, that's a, a dead-end street, basically. Yeah, okay, so I'm going to ask you a, a, a spiritual, metaphysical question in this regard. What is Aramon's function in the context of God? Just like Lucifer's function is to give us choice. Without Lucifer, there's no choice. You have to have the choice to love or not love. That's what Lucifer offers, because without that, God cannot have self-reflection. Okay. And God, God cannot be loved authentically without Lucifer giving us the choice to not love. So how do you see the Aramonic consciousness? You refer to it as a hymn. So therefore, it, it sounds to me like you perceive Aramon as a being, like people perceive Lucifer as a being. But what is the... What is Aramonic's function and the role of supporting God? Okay. Well, I would ask you, could you develop your muscles without resistance? No. And, and you know, that's all it took for you to give me the answer, but please extrapolate some more. Well, the answer is in scripture. Uh, the snake in, in the garden is, is Lucifer. Um, Satan, whom we usually use that term, Satan, doesn't show up until much further on in Scripture, in the Old Testament. And the word Satan comes from the Hebrew uh, letter symbol, Shatan, which means resistance. So he is put in charge of the earth. Now, one very fundamental law that we all understand is the law of gravity. Okay. Nobody ever thinks about the other law. Levity. Levity, which is luciferic. So between the law of levity and gravity, we're able to stand up upright and operate. And if we're depressed, that means that the gravity forces are pulling us down. If we're elated, that means the luciferic forces. And neither one is really good if you have manic depression. Right. Yeah, it's bipolar type situation. Yeah, bipolar. It's too much. It's not balanced. You say, oh, schizophrenia is like that. So the issue is that you need resistance. So uh, I always think of, um, you know, the Inspector Clouseau. Uh, yeah, he always played stupid, but he never was. <laughs> he played stupid, but also, uh, oh, sorry, it was the Pink Panther. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's another one. <laughs> Pink Panther. So he gave orders to his Chinese uh, houseboy to always try to attack him whenever he came home. <laughs> There's always this hilarious scene where he comes home and he forgets that he gave this and this houseboy jumps out at him and he's hidden somewhere and they fight it out. But he did it because he said, I always have to be on my toes. So, you know, I want you to try to kill me each time I come home. So Satan's job is to be the resistance. And it's a test because, okay, I come with my $10 million. Mm -hmm. I'm testing you, aren't I? Yeah. Yeah. You're, test you're, you're testing my morals and my ethics, my core principles. I'm the resistance. So you go, oh, I have to 
Now, if you have a part of you that is tempted, you're going to have a lot of work to do not to fall into the temptation. On the other hand, if there's no part of you that's tempted, uh, no thanks, off you go. It's like I used to have a sugar addiction. I couldn't go into a store and not walk out with a pound of candy. Okay. Now you can put me on a desert island. Well, I'm on an island, small island right now, but if there was no sugar on that island, I'd be fine. It wouldn't bother me one iota. It would have killed me years ago. So you're always finding out if you're tempted. When I made a decision to quit the Canadian government, my, my very high paying, high power job, two days later, I was offered a big promotion, which my which my previous ego self would have wanted to do. And I have to say, I wrestled with my ego and conscience for three days and three nights, proverbially. <laughs> and I finally connected with my heart and realized, no, that's not me. And I was able to say no, but it was a struggle. Now, today, of course, it wouldn't be a struggle because I'm very clear, you know, I'm not going to... Nothing's going to stop me from doing what I know I have to do, as you said. But the point is, the role of Satan, Shaitan, is resistance, testing. Okay, let's do a stress test on you like you do on metals, right? Let's see if you're, you can handle this stress. And, and you're going to, you know, some you may have trouble with just because you're not completely resolved within yourself. I'm sure most of you are aware, even though you may not like the taste of organs, that organ meats are extremely important and good for you. And I've got great news for you. Paleo Valley makes an amazing grass-fed organ complex that's unique and better than anything I've ever found out there. So much better. I wanted you to hear right from Autumn Smith, its creator, exactly what you're going to get from their grass-fed organ complex. Autumn, get us informed on why we should be using your amazing organ complex. Okay. Well, like you said, organ meats are nature's multivitamins. And when we use them, we feel this energy and this stamina. And most people don't like the flavor. So what we did was we took grass-fed and finished organs like liver and heart and kidney, and we just put them into capsules so that you can get all the benefits, the beautiful benefits of organ meats without actually having to taste them, without liver burps, of course. And they're just freeze-dried. So again, they're not processed heavily in any way whatsoever, and they are sourced from American farmers using regenerative agricultural practices. And all you have to do to try it out is go to our website at paleovalley.com. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. And you can use the code CHECK15, and that's lowercase c-h-e-k-15. And I sincerely hope you love it. One of the questions that I get all the time from students and patients and people on podcasts or, you know, shows or whatever is if God is unconditional love, then why all this pain, torture, evil and, and the misery of life? And, and, you know, and I meditated on that and talked to my soul about that. And the answer that my soul gave me was, was, quite profound. And my soul said, God is unconditional love, but unconditional 
Love cannot know itself because by definition to know something is a condition. Therefore, God had to create conditions in order to love itself unconditionally. Meaning that all of the stuff we're talking about with Lucifer and Aramon are examples of conditions and the pain that people go through and the misery and the loss and the confusion and the suicide is allowing God to love the part of itself that's doing this exploration unconditionally. The problem is, is that most people's depth of understanding or confusion about God doesn't leave them in a place of realizing that there always is unconditional love, but you just have to get still enough to um, mm -hmm. feel well, it. Yeah, no, no, you're absolutely right. And But there's, uh, there's two kinds of evil. Okay, uh, Steiner goes into this. There's the evil that you find uh, stated in uh, Genesis, you know, where you have the Hebrew word for, uh, translated evil. It only means that which is unripe. So which is not done or eaten or activated at the right time. Anything that's not right for you is evil in that sense but it doesn't now the other evil that we normally think of is the violence the uh, you know pornography uh, child trafficking uh, you know just uh, all this stuff that we have a hard time coming to terms with if god, why would god allow this well that evil is what steiner calls your individual uh, karma and that has to do with the fact that you were given the freedom of choice, okay? Because God needed to explore an aspect of himself or itself. Let's explore this idea of giving people a choice or giving, and humans were created for that, Adam. And okay, now we're going through this whole cycle of uh, evolution of that. Uh, and the new Adam, the Christ impulse, as Steiner says, you know, is supposed to lead us to back to where we came from. But with a new consciousness and this power of choice, but using it properly and not in evil ways or, you know, uh, you could say uh, tyrannical ways or whatever. So, if there's evil that we do, it's because of this uh, weakness in our capacity to make choices. So we're led astray. So let's say you're growing up and you're a teenager and you fall in with a bunch of guys and you end up robbing a convenience store and someone gets killed. And well, you never intended that necessarily, uh, but that happened because you were led astray. You didn't have sufficient of mind uh, to, to say, no, I'm not getting involved in that. You just went along with the gang. There's the snake. The snake. Yeah. We're going through a process of developing that capacity to d discern what is right and what is wrong. You could say. So if we don't develop that capacity, we are driven by what uh, Freud and Jung would call drives, instinctive drives. Now, we talk about nature as being this Disneyland version of nature. But if you've ever been in a tropical jungle or up north, you know, whatever, nature 
is pretty ruthless. It's ruthless. It's a red and tooth and claw, as it were. I, I grew up on Vancouver Island, British Columbia, and I was a faller in logging camps. I've worked in exploration drilling. I've lived out there. I've had cougars six feet from me looking at me like dinner and my heart ready to jump out of my chest. So I'm, you know. You make one mistake and nature's ready to take you out. Yeah. And you're getting, let's say you get attacked by a bear and a bear doesn't care if you're dead or alive. It's just going to eat pieces of you and you're alive and your arm is disappearing. And the point is nature is ruthless. It, we, we talk about the bestiality. Okay. Well, we have that bestiality capacity in us. Absolutely. We all have the capacity under the right circumstances to commit murder, heinous acts, you know, you, you name it. Look at what happened in the Second World War. You know, well, look at what happened in the pandemic. Look, in the look, pandemic. Look, exactly. look at how many doctors totally forgot about the Hippocratic Oath. Yeah. And so we, now we have the answer to, well, why did so many Germans support and do what they did? Well, because people are at a level of bestial. They can be led. They can be manipulated. They can be convinced out of fear or threat or whatever. And so the point is, all of those evil acts are being committed by people who are driven by this unconscious, uh, bestial nature. And you see that in the Lord of the Rings series, right? All this, this bestial aspect versus the human aspect. So what Steiner tells us is that we're heading to a time when we have to rise up above that increasingly so that we don't have that capacity to commit murder under any circumstance. But many people are not able to make it. They don't want to make the journey. And they're going to, as he says, sink down deeper into the bestial nature. And so you're going to get a kind of Lord of the Rings version a couple thousand years down the road where there's a battle going on between, you could say, the, the spiritual, higher spiritual nature and the bestial nature. And, and that's, but that's where the evil comes from. It comes from this lack of mind and consciousness. You know, uh, you just, you hack your wife to death because you're, you're mad at her. And then afterwards, you kind of wake up and, you know, how could you do such a horrendous thing? Well, when you're in the right state of mind, it's not horrendous to you. You're just doing it in a kind of zombie sleepwalking fashion. Yeah, it's interesting. The whole thing, it's, it's so dynamic. It's so, you know, it's so rich and so deep. It almost fractures the mind of most people to. Yeah, yes. it's very difficult. It's too much consciousness for them. You know, yes. in, you can only take it in small amounts, and yeah. but it's difficult often to talk about. I'm talking about it to you in a way I wouldn't normally do because it's just too much for people to handle. But you seem to no, you know, no. You know, my like my listeners, it's it's not so much that I like it; it's that I think it's important. I, I like learning. I like honest spiritual development. I think honest spiritual development uh, requires what I call spiritual courage. You have to be yes. able to look at what's in front of you. You can't exclude the ugliness or you are not practicing spirituality. You have to acknowledge the bestial nature of yourself, the dark side, uh, you know, it, like, again, the Star Wars, you know, give, give in to the dark side, Luke, you know, 
like we have to acknowledge we have that. And I have to say that was the most painful part of my life was to acknowledge that dark side. Oh, yeah. And I, I've done plenty of explorations of that. And, you know, the other, the other part of me, Rudy, that that's important to acknowledge in, in regard to all the things we're talking about is without a long prelude, I've had a lot of deep and profound experiences of union with God. And, and I have found myself in just the most utter pain, sadness, and tears because I see what God is going through to realize itself. You know, most people have a very childish view of God that God's out there somewhere and, you know, Satan's just down here doing all this shit and, uh, you know, that it's just, they, 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 they have no, this. God is experiencing all of this. Yes. And so my point is, is that, you know, my spiritual experiences have given me great sadness and, and pain and empathy for what God is so honest about exploring to know itself. You know, people have this idea that God is perfect well, God's perfection is in the imperfection, because without the imperfection, which the Buddhists call dukkha, the imbalance, there would be no way to have experience because there would be no time. Well, God is not a thing or a person. God is a process. God is a process, but, but ultimately God is consciousness itself. And I don't mean consciousness exactly. of, I mean no, big C. Yeah, it's mind and consciousness. It's the universal mind, the universal consciousness. I, I describe God as a dance floor. I say, look, if you were the dance floor, could anybody walk, dance, or even crawl quietly across you without you knowing? The answer is no. No. So if you want it scientifically, God is the zero reference point and consciousness of, which is what we have, is everything dancing on the line, electroencephalogram, electrocardiogram, any kind of signal. So paradoxically, God is totally at one with the good, the bad, and the ugly. But when you realize that every quality we have, God has. If we can feel, God can feel. If we can understand, God can understand. If we can hurt, God can hurt. We, are, we only have those qualities because they exist in God. Exactly, yes. That's how you know there is a God. Yeah, exactly. And so what I'm sharing with you because I know you can appreciate it is that some of these experiences I've had have, have made me paradoxically sad for God, almost like I would be sad for my own child if they had a bad wipeout on their bicycle and was in a lot of pain or uh, had been abused by a, a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend in high school and really got the short end of the stick and it really wounded them, you know? And I, I think um, a lot of people have a hard time with that kind of concept because they want God to be some untouchable that's always listening to their prayers and always is going to take care of them and make them feel safe, sort of like a, a, a magical uh, fairy or, or a, you, you know what I'm saying, some kind of a, a, a fantasy. But that's the Luciferic element. Um, is this idealism, this perfection, this um, kind of uh, almost living in a non-reality. And, and that's 
that's the that's the uh, another value of Steiner is he always points out that we have to deal with reality, and reality is the only thing that's going to give you consciousness. If you have an idealism or uh, some kind of uh, uh, you know ideas. Uh, particular idea about something uh, that uh, doesn't allow for reality, then that's just an escape. Uh, it's like the book by um, Eric Fromm, a psychologist yes, many I'm years familiar, ago, escape, yeah. escape from Freedom, because most people don't want to deal with reality. You know, uh, they don't want to wake up. They want to stay in their bubble, as it were. And so because response... Uh, Re reality and waking up means taking responsibility for your choices and and people would rather blame the government or blame their parents or blame their boss or blame their job or blame the weather or you know whatever then then look inside themselves as you said and realize no i'm the as shakespeare said the author of my own misfortune <laughs> too true to thine own self be true, or thou canst be true to any other man. Didn't Eric Fromm also write a book on evil? I think I have a comprehensive book by him on evil, evil in my library. Uh, I think he did. Uh, Steiner has a, a bunch of lectures that are put into a book just called Evil. But, um, but he talks about, mostly there he talks about the cosmic evil in the sense that I, you know, the uh, Genesis talks about it. But in all his works on karma, individual karma, he's, he's really talking about this individual level of evil, which comes because we haven't woken up. We're still animals and bestial in nature, and we react and, you know, we stab someone and, and we slit their throat. And because that's what animals do. I mean, you can't blame a, a wolf for coming and, you know, tearing your throat out or something. That's what he's designed to do. And so that, that nature is in us to some extent and until you, you banish it and you raise your consciousness and then, then you, don't, you aren't subject to nor do you commit acts of those kinds of evil because you, you free yourself from the karma. And paradoxically, uh, many people think they have banished those things but until they're actually put in a situation that brings that out, they don't know. And look at how many gurus and leaders who were holistic and so on fell hook, line, and sinker for, for these vaccinations. I was just mind-boggled. I won't name names, but some of them broke my heart because I thought they had a lot more substance than that. Well, because again, they're either too luciferic and they're not dealing with reality. And then if that's the case, you live in fear. As much as they're so-called up there, they're, they're living out of a fear-based existence. And if you're then captured on the aromantic side, so you have the preachers who are just interested in how much money they can make, then of course you're going to toe the line out of fear again that, you know, you won't make that money or you'll be shut down or whatever. So there, there is no true mind and consciousness there you're you're simply caught up in one of those poles you're you're hoisted on one of those two poles basically so yeah i've had a fantastic conversation with you i really really appreciate your depth your honesty and your commitment to real help medicine and really helping people and really getting to the root causes I, i'd like you to 
do me a favor. If you were to look into your metaphorical crystal ball and say, uh, Rudy, what, what are we looking at unfolding here in the next two, three, five years? What, what do you see unfolding? Well, based on my, I used to be an economist as well, based on my study of earthly cycles and based on my study of spiritual cycles, uh, which Steiner uh, gives us, um, it's pretty clear that we're coming to a major turning point in human civilization about 2030. It's interesting that the WEF agenda is that. And so the next, this whole decade, 19. Uh, 2020 to 2030 is going to be a decade of uh, destruction on a scale we probably have never seen, uh, not so much in uh, like fighting physically, but destruction of soul and spirit, destruction of mind through all the psyops and, you know, everything and misinformation, disinformation, etc. It's a it's an information war going on. World War, World war Three, you could say. Um, but we'll also see destruction of things we've uh, come to assume will be forever. Centralized government, centralized finance, centralized education, centralized medicine. All that's going to come crashing down because it was that's part of the cycle. It has to come to an end. It's like the end of the Roman Empire. Uh, there will be a new system that emerges out of that slowly between 2030 and 2040, roughly which will be, I can see from what Steiner's saying and, and the, the economists that study these cycles, um, is, uh, will be a new uh, phase of amazing transformation, amazing opportunity for those who understand it. It'll be very difficult if you don't prepare yourself, but if you understand what's going on, you will make uh, new connections. You will get involved in decentralized education, decentralized finance, decentralized government. You'll see more and more people relying on community and uh, not just geographically, but with the internet, like you and I, for example, talking and sharing things. You will connect not on blood ties. The family structure is falling apart. I mean, most of my family took the injection. Mine too. So the blood ties were told in scripture, you know, that's going to fall away. So that will fall away, but you will make new connections based on resonance of mind and consciousness. And so I don't see it as a negative. I think that if you only focus on what's falling apart and have an attachment to it, yes, it's bad. But if you don't have an attachment to central government, central education, central fine, which I don't, then I'm quite happy to have that all fall apart. I've told people over and over again, look, if things went back to normal and we just kept doing what we were doing and fossil fueling and consuming, I give it 10 years before we have a natural catastrophe. I mean, Steiner himself said, human life as you know it depends on two things, bees and trees. And if either of them reaches a critically low level, life will cease to exist as you know it. And we're right there. Yeah, there, there's, there's definitely a turning point, but we have a great opportunity to do a different approach. And this one will be based more on decentralization of people within local communities, uh, state level, you know, uh, internet level, 
making decisions and changing things. Uh, it'll be a, quite a, uh, an interesting one. But we're going to go through five to eight years of very difficult change. And that's difficult for many people to go through. Well, that. there's also that, but there's also this aramonic net with vaccine passports, centralized oh, yeah. government. They're trying, to, they're trying to put us into a corporate farm. They're going to try to tighten the belt. But the point is, that's the resistance. That's the aromantic force. It's going to force you to find a way. Otherwise, you'll be lazy and just stay in the system and depend on it because it's not oppressing you. Well, that's exactly what led people to getting vaccinated. Yes. Without thinking. For many people, that, that's what will happen. But for those who wake up or are waking up or have woken up, they will start looking for alternatives. They will start saying, well, I don't want a nine to five job because then the government can just threaten me and take, you know, take my money in, from my bank. So I'm not going to leave my money in the bank. I'm going to go look for alternative ways. I'm not going to focus on money. I'm just going to make sure I have a shelter and food and I'm self-sufficient. There are many ways of approaching it, but it's going to force people to become more independent, self-reliant, and making decisions as opposed to just accepting the decisions handed down. But that doesn't mean it's going to be easy because the aromantic forces are really going to come and tighten the screws. So you just have to make more of an effort to make sure that you're not caught in that trap. Yeah, you, you've got to be flexible, diverse in your thinking and willing to try new things and also be sensitive to the tide, the wind, the movement. You, know, you got to become a good sailor. You have to think and you have to take responsibility, which are two things most people don't want to do. Yeah, which means to be an adult, unfortunately. These days, that's a, something that's not very common. Well, I have absolutely, totally enjoyed this conversation. I think anybody that listens to this uh, is not only going to get a very good education, but I loved your vision of where we're going. I think you're one of the few people I've ever heard put it into the perspective of it's really like a metamorphosis. The caterpillar is now going through the, the process of transforming and it's either going to stay in the physical confines of the cocoon or it's going to grow wings and break out. Exactly. You know, the chicken's either going to break the egg and, and become a chicken or a bird or and fly, or, yeah, or die, and 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 a slow death that keeps Bill Gates and crew profitably happy. Yep, that's right. So, uh, Rudy, where can people find out more? I know you have a school. You have well, the easiest is there's three sites. One is just homeopathy.com. We own that site. The other one is called romantichealthcare.com. That's where the main school for this romantic science. And then for treatment, I have a, a site which explains the way we approach treatment. It's called myhealthplan.center. Great. So those are the three basic websites. I have more, but those are the main ones they can go to. And there's books you've written that are available on Amazon? Yeah, if you search under my name, you'll find quite a few books, uh, both on the uh, health side, but I published a lot more on the interpretation of scripture side as well. That's interesting, yeah. Well, one of my favorite all-time quotes comes from Shankara. 
No man can understand scripture until he's enlightened. And when he's enlightened, he doesn't need scripture. Yes, ultimately, once you understand, you don't need it. But for the current state of mind where we have to think through the written word, we needed it. So eventually, you will acquire it as an, intu an intuitive, inspirational capacity again. So. Yeah, I really think ultimately it's all based on the, the genuine impulse to love. Yes, ultimately, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic, Rudy. Thanks for everything you're doing for people and in the world. Thank you for being strong enough to make your own healing journey and journey into higher consciousness. Uh, you know, I, 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 I can't say thank you enough because if it's not for people like you that do this, then, you know, we've lost our elders. You know, there's not very many people out there that have used their life experience to grow. Most people are just like looking for how to make their life easier. Uh, you know, what's the next gadgets? You know, uh, can I get the next iPhone update? It, it, it's well, I appreciate, I appreciate the thanks, but in a way, no thanks are needed because I, I can do as Luther said at the, the, you know, the, uh, his uh, persecution almost, uh, here I stand, I can do nothing else. And I can't do anything else other than what I'm doing, whether, as I say, <laughs> so. Well, you do have choice. And so thank you for using that power to bring wisdom to the world and more love to the world. So I acknowledge that you have consciously used your power of choice. Okay. Well, thank you. And well, I appreciate you gave me this opportunity. I very much enjoyed this conversation as well. And uh, I wish you well on your journey and maybe our paths will cross again at some point. No, they, they must. So uh, meditate on what you'd like to share next. Send me an email and let's, let's have another meeting because uh, I, I don't think we can do anything but help people and each other uh, grow. I mean, if, if, if the worst thing that happens is you and I help us each other see different perspectives, that's a beautiful thing. And we get to take people for the ride. So I'm all for it. And I really uh, am grateful for today. So thank you, Rudy. Okay. Well, thank you. Take okay, care. Take care. Is there another site for people that want to see you as a patient? Uh, on the myhealthplan.center, I do everything remotely. I don't see people in person because by treatment process, I can do that very easily. But that's where they can get an appointment if they want. Yes. Okay. And you and, and just to make sure everybody knows you, you have done a lot of work to help people with vaccine injuries. Yes. Yes. Uh, we started with autistic children, but now, of course, we're helping people who've been injured by the injection, the COVID injection. So. Yeah. Great. Well, that, that's very important. And uh, I'm glad we got that in there. So lots of love, Rudy. Uh, let's stay in touch. And uh, whatever you feel is important for you to share next, uh, send me your ideas and let's let's get together and uh, share some more love. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks, Rudy. You take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Rudy Vespor. You can find out more about the Hanuman Center for Heilkunst and Homeopathy online at homeopathy.com, where you can learn more about the comprehensive study programs for healthcare professionals. Also visit romantichealthcare.com for the School of Romantic Sciences and Healthcare, which offers holistic education for self-exploration or to become a romantic healthcare practitioner. 
for those interested in private one-on-one sessions for your specific health needs, you can visit the HCH Romantic Healthcare Clinic at myhealthplan.center. You can find Paul on Instagram and TikTok at paul.check, on Twitter at paulcheck, or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living4d with Paul Check. You can also watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com or visit the Czech Institute site at checkinstitute.com to find Paul's e-learning courses, advanced training programs, and to learn more about the Czech Academy. You can read the show notes and find links to the resources mentioned in this episode at checkinstitute.com forward slash podcast. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review at the top of the show page on Spotify or at the bottom of the show page if you are listening on Apple Podcasts.